0: And that's when I started belonging to the camp of the self uh, is actually an illusion. You know, that which is the commander of all of those doesn't really exist.
1: I'm Luke Storey. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion: designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. As listeners of this show will no doubt know, I am a huge fan of being in nature as much as possible. Even though I live in the city, I'm outdoors and in the sun as much as I possibly can. As a result, I really have to take care of my skin. Well, I don't have to do anything. If I wanted to prematurely age, I guess I could not do much. But uh, the fact is I get a lot of sun, I'm outdoors in the wind, hot, cold all the time, as much as humanly possible. So I really need great skincare products. And that's where our sponsor, Osea, comes in. These guys make products that are sustainably packaged, non-toxic, cruelty-free, vegan, and made with love in California. And if you're looking to help... Reveal and illuminate your natural radiance and protect your skin from damage. Whether you're looking for hydration, oil balancing, anti-aging, or blemish solutions, OSEA is the brand you want. You can find them at OSEAMalibu.com slash the lifestylist. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com slash the lifestyleist. Each product is infused with sustainably sourced organic Patagonian seaweed and active botanicals that create a nutrient and mineral-rich bioavailable base. And that bioavailable base is really important. You don't want beauty and skincare products that sit on top of your skin. You want it to soak in. And do what nature intended it to do. And Osea products do just that. Osea stands for the elements of wellness. Ocean, sun, earth, and atmosphere. And that fits perfectly into the lifestylist lifestyle. So again, go to oceamalibu.com slash the lifestylist. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com slash the lifestylist. For 10% off your first purchase of $50 or more. And free shipping on U.S. orders of $75 or over and free samples with every order. Check it out. Yo, I am super pumped to share with you beekeepersnaturals.com. Now, if you heard episode 175 with founder and CEO Carly Stein, you know exactly what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about are the highest quality Bee products in the world from Beekeepers Naturals. Now, I've been using bee products for a long time. Back in the 90s, I was rocking like the bee pollen and, and, you know, using kind of gourmet honey over the years and things like that. But until that interview, honestly, I had no idea of the superpowers and the variety of different bee products. So, not only do these guys make the cleanest, most organic, most potent bee products, they also have the widest variety of products. So, whether it's Propolis, which helps you with the immune system, Um, soothing, scratchy throats. It's really potent stuff. Or the bee pollen, which is a superfood with vitamins and nutrients and gives you energy. It has amino acids and protein, whether it's the raw honey, the royal jelly. Uh, They even have a tonic for your brain. I mean, they have a lot of great products over there. So if you're not hip to the power of bee products as a superfood, I want to highly recommend that you get over to beekeepersnaturals.com. And honestly, if you want to just learn all about bees in the industry and how it's done and how it's done right for ecology and for the environment, definitely go back and listen to episode 175. It's a a great episode and the founder Carly is just brilliant and she's running a really great operation over there. So I'm very happy to support them on the show. And uh, like all the stuff I always talk about, I use them every day. In fact, I use it too much because I run out of it. Like when I interviewed her, I was like, so I do like a couple tablespoons of the Bee Powered, which is the really potent one that combines all of the superfoods in the hive into one product. She's like, dude, the dose for that is half a teaspoon once a day. You're tripping. But, you know, I'm hardcore because uh, it just tastes delicious and it gives you like instant energy. So definitely get over to beekeepersnaturals.com. When you're there, if you enter the code LIFESTYLIST, that's one word, LIFESTYLIST, you'll save 15% off your order. So go to beekeepersnaturals.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST. Welcome to another insanely outlandish and inspiring conversation on the Lifestylist Podcast. Today's show is the Cosmic MD Returns, Dissolving the Ego, Ketamine Therapy, and the Core of Consciousness with none other than Dr. Ted Achacoso, who's a second-time guest on the show. He's also the founding pioneer of health optimization medicine and practice, and one of the most inspiring human beings I have ever had the pleasure of speaking to. After the conclusion of this conversation, which goes on for quite a while, I might add, you'll definitely want to go back and check out his first appearance, episode 227. I love interviewing Dr. Ted due to the fact that he's one of the few human beings I've ever met in my life that is equally scientific and analytical and deeply intelligent on an intellectual basis, but also expansive in his exploration of consciousness and spirituality. It's very rare that I meet someone that's able to ride both those lanes with such grace and depth. Dr. Ted is one of my favorite human beings in the world. And by the end of this episode, I guarantee he's going to be yours. The first thing we talk about is a product that he created called Blue Canatine. And as he describes it, I guarantee you're going to be wanting to get your grubby little paws on some. So I got a discount code for you. I'm just going to throw that out right now. Blue canatine can be found at TED's site called Troscriptions.com. That's Troscriptions, T-R-O, Troscriptions.com. Once you get there, look for the product Blue canatine and use the code LUKE5 to save 5% off. What we talk about in this deeply expansive conversation includes, but is not limited to the following topics. We discuss what the four ingredients in blue canatine actually do for your brain and why I love them so much. That's methylene blue nicotine, caffeine, and CBD crystals. Then we go on to talk about LSD microdosing, ketamine journeys for meditation and hacking a heartbreak, the power of oxytocin as a supplement, how he makes his own ayahuasca that doesn't make you puke, Ted's secret to nonstop happiness, the difference between the brain and the mind, the quantum field of consciousness and how to access it and manifest change in your life. How to truly create your own reality and overcome fear, even the fear of EMS. And finally, Ted reveals what he believes to be the next big breakthrough in health. It's with great pride and gratitude that I present this fascinating, mind-expanding conversation with the Cosmic MD himself, Dr. Ted Achacosa.
0: Really good to see you again, Dr. Ted, albeit virtually. Yes, Well, I was in um, L.A. at the end of January for the Metabolic Health Summit. Uh, That's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't see you there. No, I wasn't there.
1: I was uh, busy recording and uh, up to my usual shenanigans. But it seems like everyone in the world was there except me, oddly enough. Yeah, you
0: were traveling everywhere in the world, Luke. I was. You had (laughs) had a good excuse. I was seeing all of the pictures on your uh, Instagram and said, shit. You know, I'd rather be there, which is one of the curses of suffering, right? You'd rather be where someone else is than where you are.
1: Oh, that's That's like that's a good segue just to the beginning of this whole conversation. But before I dive off the deep end, there are a couple things I have in my notes here that I want to cover with you. The first one is is people are always asking me to explain this blue canatine nootropic. Uh, Because my tongue and teeth are often actually. Let me make sure I have mine. I might just take one right now. Actually, uh, yeah, I will. I, Doctor Scott, your partner was kind enough to send me some of the, uh, I guess the ones that didn't make the cut because they were an experimental flavor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) ask me what the hell are those things like? Why is your mouth blue? And I, I have a very layman's, you know, version of the four ingredients in it. So just right off the bat, uh, before I forget, I'm going to satisfy everyone's curiosity and let you, the formulator yourself, explain what's in these things.
0: Okay. Uh, the first is a background of the formulation, right? I uh, Since we both travel a lot, Luke, and when I travel and I land, I either have to deliver a lecture or go to important meetings things or meet with patients or meet with clients and you know after traveling for flying for 22 hours you land and you have to be on so I created this for myself you know I initially formulated it as a gum and other my friends who were asking me uh, you know what is it that I'm on whenever I'm presenting since my tongue was blue um, uh, you know asked for it and when I Either. I tried to have it made uh, on, on production, but no confectioner wanted to touch it because it turned all of their equipment blue. So I had to reformulate it to what's called a trochee. Uh, a trochee is a delivery mechanism, right? Um, very much like, for example, uh, there's a sublingual trochee, which uh, is like a, this square piece of like uh, uh, candy-like material that you put under your tongue. But this one is called a buccal trochee. You insert it between your upper cheek and, and, uh, gum. And there's a reason for this. It's because, uh, since this is anotropic or something that goes to the brain, I wanted the fastest route of uh, the closest blood vessels that are to the brain. And that would be at the uh, roof of your mouth, right? So the ingredients are really simple. If you take a look at it, uh, methylene blue, which turns your tongue blue, and which is the object of uh, curiosity of many people, is actually a very old uh, drug, and uh, most people don't know it. But it's used; it used to be prescribed for things like, you know, uh, bu- bacterial infection or uh, viral infection, and, and things like that, or for urinary tract infection. And um, one of the uh, one of the uh, findings, of course, it is a, a legitimate drug in a sense that is used for a condition called methemoglobinemia, when especially when you have like, for example, carbon monoxide poisoning, that's what you, they inject you with, right? And the interesting part of it is that it actually revs up your mitochondria. Mitochondria, you know, provide energy to your cells and they will provide energy for your, nerves, for your brain cells. And that's why you experience a sort of like a brightening of, of, of your experience because your your um, uh, nerve cells are are are, are uh, having more energy right, in in the, in the process. And the way it does that is by uh, donating electrons. Uh, normally, there are molecules that donate electrons. There are uh, two molecules, but the main molecule is NADH, you know that, you know, people have been getting uh, IV infusions of NAD, especially in LA, Uh, but but, uh, uh, another uh, donor is uh, methylene glue and it can donate uh, electrons and it could also provide uh, the same effect for you. so that's the methylene blue uh, component, and that's the reason why I um, mainly place this is to energize my nerve cells right after all it's your nerve cells that will be functioning while you are doing your lecturing or your podcast or or swimming or whatever it is that you're doing. People are actually. You know, I intended this to be endotropic, but people actually love it because they uh, have more clear-headed workouts where they're actually motivated to do things. The second component of uh, glucanatine is uh, uh, nicotine, right? And it's a very low dose of nicotine and it's a synthetic bioidentical. So uh, that that only means that it is the same structure as the one you find in tobacco, but it is not... it derived from tobacco. And this is for legal reasons, right? Uh, we we uh, we cannot use uh, the ones that are derived from tobacco. But the ones that you find in nicotine gum, for example, that's sold at your local drugstore like CVS, there's also synthetic nicotine. Uh, nicotine is actually already been Uh, It's called the forgotten nootropic, right? And uh, it's really very good for your cholinergic uh, system. And when you hear something like acetylcholine or uh, some of you may be taking... uh, Huperzine A, for example, which is uh, something that prevents your acetylcholine from being degraded. And when you hear acetylcholine, you can associate it with memory or memory formation, right? So it actually facilitates your workspace memory or your short term memory. For example, you know, um, someone says uh, one plus one equals what? Uh, you put it in your memory and then um, someone asks you later, you know uh, what what did it, what numbers did they ask you to add earlier on within the same session that is short term memory okay and then um, long term memory is a, a, a different you know a different process uh, but the where after uh, whats uh, what I want to call uh, you know I was envious of the limitless bill you know, the NZT40 in in the movie. And that's what I wanted to emulate for at least, you know, three or four hours can I get this kind of effect without any side effects. And then uh, after that, of course, uh, is we know um, very well that uh, caffeine, you know, is there to wake us up. And I don't need to tell you what the benefits of caffeine are. And people are actually uh, wondering how much caffeine there is. It's actually very little. It's um, like one fourth cup. Trokey, because uh, a cup of coffee that you usually take right now is around 200 milligrams and each trokey that you have in there is only 50 milligrams which is about so one fourth cup but if you see, if you combine nicotine and and uh, caffeine together you, you know, it's just like being a synesthete, you feel a certain sharpness, you know, of the onset or uh, a suddenness of decline so I put in hemp crystals we're legally not allowed to use the term can, uh, uh, cannabidiol. So uh, we are using the term um, hemp-derived crystals because they are hemp-derived crystals. And um, we're also using a small amount like uh, five milligrams, right? And this is to round out the spiky uh, feeling that you get from uh, nicotine uh, or uh, and from caffeine. So those are the the four ingredients that I put together. Aside from the fact, of course, CBD has its own anti-inflammatory effects, its own, uh, you know, uh, anxiety-reducing effects, and so forth. Um, so so many people have been uh, emailing me and texting me, etc. Uh, of the Various things that they have been uh, googling around independently, you know, during this time of pandemic, and it's actually quite interesting. You know, some someone sent me a paper on methylene blue being able to neutralize the coronavirus together with ultraviolet light. In fact, that's being used to methylene blue with ultraviolet light is being used to clean blood, right, uh, to make them virus-free. Uh, and then someone sent me, you know, the French study on. Uh, why is uh, COVID, you know, uh, less prevalent among smokers? And they think it's nicotine, so they're now doing a study on it. And uh, of course, the Israelis, you know, are, are are doing their CBD studies on on COVID. And I said, well, we just happen to be a nootropic species with the right DNA, right? So. <laughs> <we> <laughs> And I said we are just a nootropic. I said we don't want any uh, make make any such claims. Otherwise, we'll get shut down. Um, I said this is something that you use to to um, focus. If it works for you, it's perfect. Uh, for me, you know i couldn 't stand a whole turkey. I know you can Luke. I know you can withstand a whole trokey. I can only do one fourth at a time uh it's too it's too strong for me, but I guess for people who are regular caffeine users uh, for example uh they really need uh the entire turkey. so that 's how um the the whole thing evolved and now we 're actually looking at uh trying we we've we've had a lot of requests for just pure methylene blue. And as you know, it's very difficult to obtain pharmaceutical grade methylene blue. I mean, don't take the ones that are intended for your fish tanks. They're very impure and they have lots of um, heavy metals in them. pharmaceutical grade is the one that they actually reconstitute to produce the uh, action that they give you when you have carbon monoxide poisoning, for example. Uh, But it comes in a spouter. And uh, now they're being studied actually for things like uh, parkin uh, like alzheimer 's uh, for example, to rev up the brain and to see whether or not they would cause a decrease in the tangles, the neurofibrillary tangles that are producing the brain so so um, we, we got requests for those, but I actually suspect that uh, a lot of people were asking about those because they had a different you know um uh thought in their minds about the studies that they've seen on um methylene blue and SARS-CoV-2 however you know um this i'd like to emphasize again that this request was actually specifically coming from from people for um um to try it out on their parents with uh, alzheimer's so so i i don't really uh, uh have any claims for this you know, uh, these are these are being um, uh, requested of us to to make, and so we're trialing out soon. You know, uh, probably uh, a couple thousand pieces to send out to people who have requested this to, uh, this from us. So, so that's the the whole. Uh, I didn't expect to create you know follow on product to to uh, uh, blue canna I I expected that the next product was actually going to be dispensary product uh for pain right um and it would have a a higher uh THC content and of course uh, this is related to something that I do which you know look you know I I I do health optimization medicine and that's balancing your hormones and nutrients you know um uh, bringing them back to the age uh, when you were between twenty-one and thirty years old. However, not all. Uh, that's a, a, a gradual process. You know, we we'll get your your uh, results in about probably three to nine months. But uh, some people, uh, you know, uh, will have pain, and we need to have something more immediate, you know, than than saying. And that's why. And this is the uh, raison d'être. You know, for for uh, creating this product line is to be able to address those uh, signs and symptoms that need immediate uh, to be immediately addressed, not on the illness level, right? But on a balancing level. Um, uh, for example, there are studies out there that you know. Uh, what's related is you know uh, intestinal bowel, bowel disease uh, for example and and migraines and chronic fatigue syndrome are all related by uh, low endocannabinoid tone if you give them you know uh, cannabinoids chances are that trifecta actually gets relieved from pain so, we are not after curing anything, et cetera. We're really just after optimizing a certain imbalance. And this time it's an imbalance of your endocannabinoid tone. So, you know, the the blue canadine, you know, I, I went on it on a lark, uh, really, because I just made it for me. And then, I, you know, it graduates to you actually wanting to use it all the time in each and every podcast that you do. So um, that's, you know, it It is problematic
1: though, because when I look at the videos, it looks like I'm like missing teeth on one side you know? <laughs> <laughs> to explain it. Cause people like even watching now on Instagram, uh, you know, I mean, it's definitely, um, noticeable, but it's, I don't care. I mean, I don't, I, I look like a weirdo to a lot of people, so it's nothing new. It's kind of the story of my life, but, um, But it is just so effective, and that's why I'm I'm so curious about it. Uh, A couple things came out of that, and then I'm we're gonna take like a complete exploration into space, just like the background of your Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) Last time we talked, we really talked more about health and things like that. And I know that you're an explorer of consciousness, and and that's something I really want to tap in uh, into with you. But back to those four ingredients, I've heard Mm -hmm. about uh, the methylene blue being potentiated by getting out into the sun or doing red light therapy. You mentioned its use in conjunction with UV. How does light affect the methylene blue and its its effect on you?
0: I think it has something to do with uh, the uh, the electrons being shuttled back and forth, right? Uh, sunlight actually provides you with that electrons. Uh Uh, A friend of mine famously said that the only reason we eat is for us to be able to strip electrons from food because we can't strip it directly from the sun. And the reason we do that is, of course, to provide energy to ourselves. And I uh, suspect that that is the reason why it actually gets activated is because then it's both, you know, I I, I think your listeners have already uh, heard this, it's uh, both uh, an, a reducer and an oxidant. A reducer would donate electrons and oxidant event will get electrons and when it's getting electrons from the sun, it's actually exercising its uh, oxidant function and therefore you have a continuous supply of electrons that can be donated to your mitochondria for your energy. So, I, I, I uh, That's the, for me the base reason for it. Uh, others will add more layers to that. You know, It has a uh, Aside from the redox function, it will enhance the anti-inflammatory effects. It will, you know, um, enhance uh, mitochondrial function. But on the core level, you know, a lot of life is about redox anyway. G- win some, lose some, as they say, right?
1: <laughs> and when it comes to the the CD element there, uh, you know, obviously there's been a lot of research to support the efficacy of the different elements of the cannabis plan and, and different medicinal uses, et cetera. But one thing that seems to come up a lot is the absorbability or bioavailability of C B D. There are some critics of C B D oil, for example, that say that's great. It does have the constituents that are going to support your health in, in the various ways um, that people are aware of, but that if you put a dropper full of it in your mouth at the amount that actually gets into your body. Yes. Does you know like Chris Shade? Quicksilver has a um, a liposomal delivery system for CBD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would think that that would be a lot more effective. Now, recently, uh, just on a lark, I was I was ordering some uh, kratom from one of the sort of dark web uh, sites that I that I use that typically gets shut down after a couple months. Yeah. <laughs> and sites and the smart drug sites. But anyway. Uh, and they said they had a little flash sale for some CBD, you know, non-THC, non-psychoactive CBD mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they were having a sale. So I bought like 15 of those joints and, uh, and it was amazing cause it's like decaf weed. And so I, you know, would smoke those and just kind of hang out and do my work here in the office. It drove my girlfriend crazy cause they smell up the whole house. But, uh, I mean, they drive me crazy too. When I walk back in the room, it smells like the, uh, the VIP room on a rap video or something. But, uh, I did notice that the effects of the CBD were much stronger. Again, not psychoactive, not high, but just relaxing and sort of Mm -hmm. anti-anxiety. Pain-killing effect was much greater from smoking one of those CBD joints than taking even one of my really high-quality CBD products, like Mm -hmm. you know my friends over at Onda and the companies that I work with. I mean, they make some really, really amazing CBD products, but um, I found smoking it had much more of an impact. So what's your take on the absorbability or bioavailability of CBD?
0: Yeah, thank you for actually bringing that up. And this is the reason why we're using sea crystals, right? Uh, it's because we can actually weigh them uh, with uh, uh, precision, you know, that get, goes into each strokey. The whole uh, issue that I was also trying to address with uh, Blue Canna look Luke, is actually when you look at California, just California alone, there is actually... A, a uh, confusion or there's a dichotomy that needs to get recognized when it comes to cbd and cbd products right most of the products that you're seeing there are actually geared towards consumers the you don't have to have the precise dosage that goes into well it's about you know x percent of this and x percent of that or it will go into food and food products or some drinks right and that has a, a very different implication from what we are doing, for example, at prescriptions, because we are more geared towards, uh, uh, we're a precision dose company, and therefore we're more geared towards, you know, when we say five milligrams, and then you're sure that it's, you know, there five milligrams plus minus the allowable tolerance for for such measurement and we know when you know that you're using you know pure crystal you know what the absorption is going to be when it's going to be uh trochee, when it's going to be in in an oil uh, you know a, a carrier oil and so on so when you're using an actual uh, oil you know uh, a cannabis oil you know it, it, that's you know the argument there it's like yeah well yes that's wonder right because it will have the entourage effect with all the other terpenes in there etc that's just uh, really uh, giving you that uh, that whole effect that you you talk about which is like uh, giving you this wonderful wonderful feeling but when you are going to uh, use this you know for pain or for specific uh, symptoms not diseases but for specific symptoms we would rather be precise in the measurement, even if we take out some of the entourage effect. However, we're not, uh, for example, in our succeeding products, we're not completely taking out the, you know, the the terpenes. In fact, we're using the crystals and we're adding their terpenes in a measured way. <clears throat> and, and and this is where you know the the whole thing about absorption gets confused because when you're using a natural substance, you know, you don't know, you know, whereas, you know, as a grower, you probably know, well, this probably has X amount of THC, X amount of CBD, X amount of, you know, the different types of uh, subtypes of uh, cannabinoids in there. We don't really know with, with that kind of spectrum, you know, what your absorption is going to be, right? Unless you actually say, okay, for this particular type of cannabinoid, then we can study the absorption this way, right? And the other thing that uh, can also be a point of confusion is that even if you're giving, say, you know that the this amount of this particular uh, type of, seaweed, uh, of uh, cannabinoid rises, uh, say, in your bloodstream, even if you're measuring something like that, you the effect is not generally going to be the same for you as for the next person, right? Because your endocannabinoid system... Might be different I might have a better and you might have better endocannabinoid tone and therefore you will respond a lot better with just smaller amounts of it and I may have a very low uh, endocannabinoid tone and I will be responding with with the same dose very poorly so you know so when it comes to absorption there are these things that uh, that uh, come to us uh, that come in mind you know if you're go- talking about absorption of the pure cannabinoid, or, or you know, a uh, type, or you're talking about absorption of the product itself that's intended as drops, which has other cannabinoids and terpenes in it. So uh, that gets uh, very confusing. That's why what we're actually saying here is that uh, even in the formulation of blue with the CBD itself, is that you know it, you have to titrate your dose right until you get one that is proper for you, even for those who clay it has high absorption rate, right? And and for you, what you probably got with those joints, et cetera, is that you got the whole entourage effect nicely and it actually fit your uh, endocannabinoid profile. That's why you, you got that kind. And then, you know, of course, you will be tempted to buy again from that, right? But this time it was harvested differently. It was grown, you know, by someone different with a different technique and so on, and it won't work for you. So... That's uh, that's the issue right there. So absorption is not just a problem of absorption itself. You know, there is the, the product, whether you're talking about the entire product or of just a particular system, your sensitivity to the different uh, elements of the product itself, right? And for example, if you're taking a precision dose, whether or not it's really precision dose, whether or not it's saying exactly how much it has, right? And then you can have all the the ways by which you can increase, increase absorption, like, you know, Chris Shade, you know, has a wonderful company, you know, that uh, produces liposomal um, uh, encapsulation, you know. Um, so uh, there are all of these ways to enhance absorption, um, but that's not the be all and end all of things. Uh, and and uh, I know that Chris will probably agree with me that you will have to titrate your ears. And of course, You know, he would be happier if you trade higher, right? Because you'd be using more product. I'm 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 kidding, Chris.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Um, You know, one thing I did notice though about that the CBD joint experiment, uh, and I did not elect to order more because I I could see how it'd be very habit forming, but it definitely had deleterious effects on my lungs. I mean, I noticed I had kind of a sore throat. I My lung capacity started to be affected by it. And so, you know, I don't think for me personally, just smoking anything is a good strategy for long-term health. What What are your thoughts on people that smoke weed on a regular basis in terms of brain health, lungs, et cetera, like uh, recreationally, like just smoke weed to, to get down and listen to Pink Floyd or whatever?
0: For me, you know, uh, each person has his own thing. It's uh, it's not my thing, right? I have more dangerous drugs to do that with. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I... <laughs> uh, it's not my thing. But here's here's a thing with the studies that you see, and from my experience with my own patients and my own clients, you know, for um, chronic uh, uh, cannabis users, um, I, for example, I have i have someone uh who i've known who've used it for 20 years you you'd see the effect on short term memory right and that's actually expected i had a conversation with this with uh the dean of uh uh the former dean of the school of medicine uh where i went to and he was um he 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 was a psychopharmacologist and he said aside from being you know a psychiatrist but he, we were talking about this in, in in paris and and he said you know ted you know um they anandamide is called the bliss molecule right and the bliss molecule would make you feel all of this euphoria etc but it's also called the molecule of forgetting is a molecule of forgetting. So it allows you to, for example, recycle old neural networks in the brain or old circuits in there, you know, uh, that can be forgotten and you put in uh, uh, new memories uh, uh, in there. And so that's a trade off that you that you have. And for most of his uh, patients also that he's seen who are using this like, chronically. You know, the wake and bake on a Sunday. This kind. And as I continue throughout the week, you notice that uh, the phrase, where is my, is a very uh, common pr- you know, um, pronunciation. It's like, where are my car keys? And where is my this? And where is my that? It's because uh, of that effect on, on memory. I'm I'm not judgmental about those. If you need those for pain, et cetera, et cetera. You just have to weigh, right? Uh the uh the difference uh between what you you know be- between your, your pain and managing your pain by other means, you know, um and uh basically uh put your your uh, cannabis use in uh, uh, moderation such that it actually doesn't affect your short-term memory that much. The other thing that I've noticed for those really long-term users. Is that they have episodes of uh, paranoia, right? So uh, they develop uh, more or less paranoid personalities. And I, you know, uh, psychopharmacologists have uh, probably better uh, explanation for that, but it's an observation that I've made. And you also uh, get to be, uh, you know, I, I get to see it from people who are high sometimes. You know, and you're trying to talk to them, etc., and suddenly you could see them getting more and more paranoid. From the euphoria to paranoia is what I I, I call it. So, um, uh, and and sometimes it just bakes into your personality, you know. Uh, but with cessation, uh, you know, uh, of of the use, uh, for example, for in just a few months, you see that the personality comes right back up. So it's it's quite interesting, right? Uh, what it does to you on chronic use. You know it's 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 kind of like uh, anything else, like metformin, for example, you know if you use it for a very long time, it starts poisoning your mitochondria. so even those are metformin, I actually tell them to actually stop it for a few months and then restart it so uh these are these are the kinds of things that you you uh, keep in mind you know um, they have uh, all of this there are common pattern chronic effects, right? That uh, that go with it. So it's, it's just uh, uh, for me. It's not a warning, but rather a self observation that you have to make. The first thing that you will see is actually a decline in your memory, right? Uh, especially your short term memory. So of course, some people would rather forget, right? But <laughs> Depends on if. See when I was
1: when I was using uh, cannabis. Recreationally or really medicinally, I mean, it's really like it, it was a in, in my childhood, uh, and throughout my adolescence and into my 20s, was really a uh, self medication for trauma, and it, mm. it was a it was a like a, a psychotherapy kind of um assisted. Uh, help for myself, but it did come with the price of definitely having an impact on my memory. And I think because I was using it so young, and again, I don't want to put this into the quantum field and create this as a reality. But I have observed in the past that I've had some issues uh, with memory that don't seem to be present in people around me that are of similar age and lifestyle, et cetera. So, uh, word to the wise there. But I was curious to get your take on that. I mean, uh, uh,
0: unless unless you do it deliberately, Luke, like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've forgotten you. It must be my cannabis use, but you really yeah. dislike the person. That's a good example. <laughs> yeah. Sorry
1: about that email. I never answered. Yeah, man, I've been smoking a lot. I'm <laughs> in pain, and I'm curious. Uh, I'm just going to kind of. I want to do a little lightning round on just a couple things. I've been just dying to ask mm-hmm. you, officially, and I'm I'm sure our audience will uh, derive some benefit from the answers too. But I don't get you know time with you very often especially now with these travel restrictions so i just wanted to get your take on it um one is you mentioned pain what's your take on if you have any knowledge about um kratom or as people in southeast asia refer to it kratom do you know anything about that particular substance and have any opinion
0: i uh, actually um it uh from my research of it because i was um i was hoping uh it would actually uh be researched in the United States as an opiate substitute, right? And that's why I was researching it on the basis of its action on the various types of opiate receptors. And from what I remember, uh, it's been about three years now since I looked at Kratom, because I I have a lot of clients or children of very rich clients who are one way or the other uh, into opiates. And I wanted to find, instead of giving them stuff like, you know, methadone and all of these other substances, why not uh, kratom? So I took a look and I, I, I think I remember something about the mu opiate receptor and all of that. And it has the same, uh, it's sort of like, it's a mimic. So it will, it will behave like an opiate and will bind to those receptors. It will give you the analgesia or the decrease in pain, right? That, that you actually uh, need without the constipation side effects and so on. But other than that, I have not uh, actually researched it for other things. Uh, for me, it was, uh, you know, what's the immediate problem that needed a good salt? You know, with blue canatin, it was my performance for the next three hours. With uh, Kraton, it was uh, all of this, you know, uh, very young uh, uh, adults uh, who uh, are actually hooked uh, on opiates for some physical pain or the other. Can we attenuate? Their use of opiates by substituting kratom, for example, and then can we uh, can we actually totally pull out their use of opiates and just use kratom uh, for that? Because it's a it's a natural substance. I'm sure that the body would respond to it in a different way, you know, than with the opiates that we're currently using. Right. Okay. So that's the that's the kratom piece that I worked I, I studied about three, uh, three years ago. Uh, it's just too bad that um, none of the research has focused on that in, in the U.S. And who's going to study that, right? Uh, so uh, it's sold in Thailand. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, that's where I, I uh, actually got my uh, initial uh, supply of Kratom to see uh, whether or not it would actually relieve pain, you know, for opiate users. And I, I uh, asked uh, uh, some of my clients actually try it. Right? So, well, I use it. On- so, for now, my, 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 res- sorry, my results on it are just anecdotal.
1: Yeah, yeah. Likewise, um, I use it periodically for pain and I find it to be quite effective. And as someone who was previously very well addicted to opiates, um, I've not found it to be addictive, although I have to give the disclaimer I hear through the grapevine, that it can be and that people have developed dependencies on it like they would another opiate. I just personally, surprisingly a most, have not had that experience. It's only been a positive experience. But I also make sure that I'm not just... You know mindlessly taking it every day because it feels good or something and putting myself in in harm's way but I think it's an interesting substance because as you indicated it's it's completely natural I mean it doesn't even require any sort of extraction yeah really yeah
0: no no extraction yeah
1: leaf grind it up and eat it and yes pain like oxycontin or something I mean it's pretty it's pretty wild and there are extracts of it that are uh, that that I've uh, taken periodically, that are quite a bit stronger, and you know do have the potential to get you pretty high if you're not careful, or that might be your goal in some cases. But uh, even just the natural leaf is really effective for pain, and almost uh, different strains I've noticed have a little bit of a stimulating effect, um, not unlike some nootropics, like a a mild caffeine or like a green yes. sort of high, which is really there's a,
0: there's a red kratom, a green kratom. You know, there are all of these uh, things now. And they used to be sold, you know, uh, legally until uh, we can't find them anymore, which is too bad, you know, yeah. um, because it 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 could, it could be studied as a good substitute for uh, opiates. Yeah, uh, I used to give it for low back pain to, When it was uh, legal, I used to give it for low back pain. Yeah. You know? um,
1: to, uh, to up, Doctor Ted, it it is currently legal right now in the states, and you can order it online. As yeah. I. Been for a couple years now. Yeah, the FDA's come after it pretty strongly a couple times, but people have fought back and formed petitions and sort of revolted against that. Specifically, veterans and people that suffer from PTSD, chronic pain, uh, pharmaceutical opiate dependencies, et cetera, and they have been able to push back and maintain its legality for now. Wow, I do see waves of regulatory agencies coming after it again because obviously it's cheap. It's not patentable. Yes, it could. Get someone off fentanyl, you know, OxyContin, street heroin, whatever. So Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I I um the the last time I ever entered a store, you know, to look for Kratom here in the US, it's like, oh, we pulled it out, you know, because you know, the FDA came after it. So I just assumed yeah. that uh the FDA came after it already in a big way. Yeah. I mean You know, and then Look after kratom, you know. You just shove some ibogaine into the into the person and <laughs> say, "Here, deal with your pain." <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, that brings me on to the next couple of things.
1: And again, like I, there's so many things I want to get into, but I, I can't. Yeah, we uh, Instagram guy is like, "Hey, are you talking kratom?" Yes, we did. And you can watch this on IGTV afterward to go back to that. Uh, but there's a couple of interesting things that have transpired since our last meeting when you came over here to the studio. I'll never forget. And I tell people this story anytime I talk about you because I had not met you up until that point. I'd, I'd just seen your little bio picture when I booked you. So you knock on the door, I open the door. There you are in your your uh, black suede boots, your skinny black jeans, leather jacket, uh, Western, black Western shirt, bolo tie. I'm like, this guy's like the Filipino Johnny Cash. <laughs> 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 I'm like, dude's cool. We're going to get a, just immediately your energy, your body. <laughs> I was like, this dude is cool. And so you walk in, and one of the first things you do is you put a couple of trokies down on the table. You go, "Here, I brought you a couple of gifts." And I said, "What's that?" And you said, "Well, that one's oxytocin, and that one's ketamine." And I and I said, "Ketamine? What? The, what is this? A rave? You know?" What, and then you explained. You said, "Oh no, it's really useful for you know consciousness journeys, and mm-hmm. uh, when you want to do some self inquiry, meditation, et cetera. And I had, up until that point, I didn't know about ketamine assisted therapy. I did, I did, I had no idea because it wasn't really something I was. Um, investigating at that point. Uh, but I I did then you know, use those trokies of both those substances. And it was really interesting. I haven't talked to you about this since then, I don't think, uh, although we ran into each other in London a while back. But uh, you said, well, if you take the ketamine, it's a really good opportunity. It's like a truth serum. So if you want to ask yourself questions and really get real with yourself, it will allow you to do that and help dissolve some of your own self-deception And if you want to have a conversation with someone else and be really transparent and get to the root of an issue and really get to the matter of truth. And, uh, and so I, I took that into consideration. I did a couple solo, you know, very like microdose journeys, not, not too uh, deep and thought, oh, this is interesting. There's definitely an, an element of, um, disassociation, which I liked where you can get into that sort of quantum space and figure things out, work on things, have creative inspiration, etc. And then I uh, took some with someone that I was dating at the time. And uh, I thought, well, we're just going to kind of have some fun and just have a nice, easy night and share some time together. And we ended up having quite an honest conversation uh, to the point where it it led to the demise of the relationship. (laughs) 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 I think we were so honest we thought, yeah, this really isn't working. And of course you know, of course it ended up, I'm sure, for both of us being a positive experience and, and all of that. And all all is well, but I thought, oh man, Ted wasn't kidding. Like you gotta be careful with this shit. Because the, the truth will prevail. So if you can in a brief way, give us the mechanism of action or, or what piqued your interest about that particular substance, which again to someone like me my knowledge of it was relegated into the realm of like party drugs and something I would have never even considered exploring at all. Uh, and yeah,
0: sure. Um, I, just a quick history for you. My first uh, experience with ketamine was actually intravenous ketamine. And uh, that was uh, not by choice. I, I had a tonsillectomy done when I was already in third year medical school. And you know very well that uh, a general anesthetic, you know, the gas uh, anesthetic, the inhaled anesthetics, they actually fuck up your memory for about five years, you know, Um, both long-term and short-term memory. I said, no fucking way am I going under, you know, for you to take out my tonsil. And so I opted for local and ketamine was used as the twilight anesthetic. Right, so it's it's a horse tranquilizer, you know, uh, and it was uh, ketamine was used in the war as anesthetic by the surgeons because it could withstand the heat. It did not require any special equipment, you know. Uh, you could drip it IV, you could use it IM, uh, and so on. But when I was under it, you know, I was seeing this big trocar. This is a big fat needle, you know, being inserted in my mouth and right into my my tonsil, and I said. Oh, oh this is okay you know that you know there was uh, some fear extinction that was going on there and then i said you know what if um they asked me uh you know how i was feeling this time i would probably tell them the truth that this procedure fucking sucks you know <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but the, my first experience of toilet anesthesia was, was at the time using ketamine and then i actually got Interested in it uh, because uh, there is a a, a now uh, um, a ketamine protocol, right, for the treatment of depression that is resistant to other drugs. And what I have uh, also seen is that probably at the initial onset of a, a very very heavy depression you know, I, I am one of those who would refer you to a ketamine therapist and a psychiatrist who knows how to do uh, therapy after um, after uh, a ketamine yeah, infusion, or they could give you ketamine trochee, just like the uh, trochee that I gave you, right? Um, and uh, what it does is uh, actually uh, what's called a dub- double negative. So it's an NMDA. Uh, it's, it's a it's a, it inhibits a certain receptor, right, in, uh, in the inhibitory neuron of the brain. So this inhibitory neuron inhibits another, say, neuron A, right, inhibits or says, no, do not, do not release this to neuron B. So neuron B happens to basically uh, fire with glutamate, which is the excitatory neurotransmitter of the brain, right? Neuron A is an inhibitory neuron and says, do not fire. What ketamine does is that it blocks the inhibitor. So minus, minus is a plus. So it relieves the blockage of the uh, glutamate uh, releasing neurons, And it makes the what I call the peripheral structures of the brain more excitatory. And what does that do? You know, uh, the if we could just uh, do a... Sh- shortcut to that, and uh, despite the 90s probably hating this, if, if I could just say, well, that's a task positive network. That's the one that uh, allows you to, to look outside you know, uh, your, your sensory system and it's the portions of the brain that are engaged where you're in the flow, right? Uh, this is a, a diminution of the self. Now, at the center, mostly central, like midline of the brain would be a set of structures called the default mode network which is considered to be the seat of the ego, right? Uh, Or, uh, you know, ego is a very loaded term. I prefer it to, uh, because uh, in in Freudian psychiatry, that's, that's, you know, your sense of self-importance. But for me, uh, the ego is just a self-referential system. Anything that's autobiographical, that refers to you, that allows you to be able to uh, know uh, what others seem to be thinking, you know, uh, so anything that's that's internal is actually processed right there. And what ketamine does is uh from from the way I see it, an uh, easy way of understanding that is what's called a DMN reset. It resets your your DMN because it activates the part of the brain that like the task positive network, it works opposite the DMN, right? So for example, when I used to do medical procedures, right? When I was poking the brain, you know, I was very focused on the task, right? And at that point, I had no self because they work uh, basically uh, opposite each other, right? They're uh, co- they're they're, they're counter yoked. So if one is on, the other one is off. What happens in depression uh, is that the uh, the DMN actually is. Uh, Hyperactive. There's a lot of rumination uh, and and so on. And that rumination or self referential system, this is a lot of the stories that you tell yourself, Luke. You know, even if it's not true, you believe it, right? Uh, Even if the stories aren't true, you believe it. And in, in, in normal conversation, you would be telling the things that you believe, not necessarily, you know, what is there without a self owning it. The important thing is that. The self is the owner of experience it's like to experience experience experience, but the truth is that that uh, that is just an uh, what you call an arising out of consciousness it's an illusion right it's it's there's no really structure there called the self right and you know when you get hurt right uh, there's a saying. Pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional, right? And that's the difference between having a self and having no self. It's something like this: it's like, oh, you know, here's the temperature rising from the fever, and then the story is, fuck this! Why did I have to to kiss that girl with infectious mononucleosis? So these are, you know, these are the, you know, that's the story. But the truth, you will carry this. Story, but the truth is that it's simply, you know, a rise in temperature. Uh, so it's the self that generates a kind of story, right? And then that causes you suffering. Like, I shouldn't have done this and I shouldn't have done that. And, you know, uh, and uh, it, 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 what it does is it's just like this, this, uh, ghost of a conductor that doesn't really exist, but when it's there, you get lost in it and identify yourself as the ghost because it will pull in your thoughts, pull in your emotions, pull in your, your concepts, you know, uh, pull in your language, and then pretty soon you're concocting this story, which is so believed because because it's made up by the ego, you know? Uh, and what ketamine does is that it actually uh, quiets this in, in, because in a way, uh, what it does, it's, it, it actually heightens the activity like psilocybin does of the outer connections, right? The per, the more peripheral, the, the, the more uh, external uh, connections in the cortex, uh, in the task positive network. That's why it's actually shut down. So your stories are, uh, you know, that's why it's a three stream. Your, your stories don't develop and suddenly you're able to, to, to talk to each other truthfully about things it's not like mdma mdma like like shoves you with these emotions of love and and so on and so forth right it's just like uh, all of this very uh, it's an impactogenic makes you makes you tell i love you to everyone and so on but this one is more cold it's more clinical it just says okay there is no luke story here it's just all of these pieces of things you know And this memory says, you know, there's something about the way this person moves that doesn't jive with me. There's, a, you know, there's something with, with, uh, you know, uh, there's a feeling that I have that that's uh, that's really off, and uh, and so on. So when you when you look at those in pieces instead of instead of someone weaving a story around it, then suddenly you become truthful to each other. And sorry for the demise of your relationship, Luke, but. Um, that's that's what it does. But the one thing that I, I like about it is the, the reset that uh, it gives you, right? When right when you're after it, everything is quiet. Not even you know your 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 thoughts rarely come up. You know uh, m- what most people don't uh, realize is that you know um, e- thoughts are hard to control and they should not be controlled. You know they should be observed. It's just like uh, for. Example, if you close your eyes and you're hearing sound, right? You cannot control where the sound is coming from, right? Or you open your eyes and you're seeing things, you cannot control where the thing is from. It's the same with your thoughts. Unfortunately for us, we're kind of fucked because, <laughs> because those thoughts, you know, uh, will, will, of course, attach with your emotions and then will hijack your attention. You know, there's a a center in the brain called the salience network, which can be hijacked. And pretty soon it's like, I'm going to exact my revenge. I'm fucking angry. I'm like the I develops and that's the storyteller, right? There's an I that's getting hurt. There is because temporarily... That becomes you, right? And uh, that's the scientific basis of uh, you know when the Buddha said, you know, uh, the root of all suffering is the clinging, uh, the clinging mind. And clinging uh, actually means it's it's the self that's clinging to all of this. There's an identity, right, uh, that that uh, gets developed. So when you start, the the way to see whether or not your ego has come up is to ask a simple question: Who is getting hurt? When there's a who there, you're sure that the ego is up. <laughs> like, who wants to exact revenge? And when you see that, that's the ego that's up there. Because it wants own, right? It's, it's, the, it's the want, want, want. I want this. I want that. I want this experience. It's called the experience collector, right? I, I, I want to experience this. I want to experience that. I want, want this. I want that.
1: We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. Let's take a moment to celebrate one of my all-time favorite health and wellness brands. They're called SirThrival, and you can find them at SirThrival.com. They've been in the game for about 12 years, and I discovered them 10 years ago when I met their products and their founder, Daniel Vitalis, at a health conference. I'm sure if you're a regular listener to this show, you've heard his four prior appearances as a guest. I've been a huge fan of Daniel's work and SirThrival products for years, and I literally use them every day. Something I really respect about this brand is the excellence in formulation using wild and organic ingredients and their on-point packaging in Myron Glass to protect the potency of the products shipped to you directly by their staff in Maine. Everything they make is manufactured right here in the USA, and their products are really for the discerning health connoisseur as no detail is overlooked. And right now, more than ever, we need to remain healthy and strong in this transitional time in history. And these products are going to definitely assist in doing so. Sir Thrival was built on the premise of self-healthcare, the idea that ultimately we are each responsible for our own health. And never before has that become more clear. While governments, health agencies, and medical professionals scramble to create policies and treatments for the masses, the wise amongst us, like you listeners, are busy building the strongest, healthiest, and most adaptable versions of ourselves we can. Sir Thrival specializes in time-tested immuno and adaptogenic formulas for modern humans. I'd recommend that you start with Sir Thrival's elk antler formula for total body adaptation and anabolism. Then check out the colostrum and vitamin D3-K2 combo for incredible immune fortification. They also have a fantastic reishi as well as a chaga medicinal mushroom extract for immunomodulation and physiological stress adaptation, pine pollen for restoring androgetic balance in this xenoestrogen-polluted world, and taboo for optimal hormone balance and sexual function. And let me tell you, that stuff works, my friends. They've also got a great CBD product, their entire product line is just fantastic. I highly recommend that you get over to Surthrival.com and check out the entire product line. And while you're at it, use the code STYLE10 to save 10% off your order. That's Surthrival.com and the code is STYLE10. And now back to the interview. Okay, this is a very important uh, distinction to make for anyone that has a desire to have a fulfilling, productive, enjoyable life is to be able to find that gap of separation that you speak of between the true self of consciousness, a single point Mm -hmm. of of unified field consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. To step back and to be able to observe one's thoughts, one's feelings, the I, the self, the me, that is believing these stories. I mean, that right there is the answer to everything, is it not?
0: Yes, it's uh, it's 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 the root to all suffering. Is being identified with that uh, me, right? That's uh, that's uh, making up all of these stories. They're and they're not even true, you know. The self is just an illusion, right? It's 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 there because. Uh, it was uh, placed in there by evolution. But what we have done, and we have not been helpful as a society, really. What we've done is uh, really uh, inserted layers on it such that we, you know, our, our technologies, etc. are more towards building lots and lots uh, stronger and stronger egos rather than lessening. And I, I was uh, having a video conference with uh, my uh, my company, the other monday and i showed them a 2014 study of um uh, young adults who uh were given a choice right uh, uh, of uh electrocuting themselves or shocking themselves uh versus just uh staying with their thoughts for you know just 15 minutes and you know be alone with your thoughts for 15 minutes you could Think about anything that you want, et cetera, et cetera. And shockingly, the people actually prefer to electroshock themselves rather than be left alone with their thoughts, right? Uh, I could send you the link to that study, but that is exactly, that's 2014. It's fucking 2020. And it's showing very, very badly during this quarantine period, right? Uh, People can't seem to be uh, alone with their thoughts, and then because they start believing their thoughts right they they start they start thinking that their true identity and their thoughts are them and then and then suddenly the eye with so many cravings and aversions starts you know uh basically uh taking the the uh, the pilot's wheel so that's the um uh, and that's a that's a problem and i i Take a look, you know, At uh, occasionally I do a cursory look at what's being posted on YouTube, a cursory look at what's being tweeted out, and a cursory look at Instagram, and you see, you know, how people cannot stand being alone with their thoughts, right? Right now, I have an actual opportunity to meditate five times a day, and even it's just 20 minutes, you know, a, a meditation, a sitting meditation five times a day, and I I, I find it incredibly gratifying, right? And, and here are people, you know, in the study, basically, ra- they'd rather electroshock themselves, you know, rather than, even, even if surveyed beforehand, would they rather uh, pay not to get electrocuted, right? And they said, no, they'd rather pay not to get electrocuted, but when left alone with their thoughts, they would rather electrocute themselves than, than do that.
1: I no. <laughs> yeah I t- totally relate to that you know my childhood uh, and and much of my early life was spent from that point of view of just in fact you know I always lived in the country in small towns when I was a kid and and I absolutely hated it because it there was nothing to distract me from the inside of my mind and the thoughts and and, yeah. and sensations I had were so uncomfortable and painful uh, because I had no way to contextualize. Experiences that I'd had as a kid uh, that I hated the country. And whenever I had a chance, I'd get into San Francisco. And as long as there was a lot of noise and a lot of people, then I would find inner peace. You know, the more chaotic my outer environment was, the more inner uh, stillness I was able to find because of that, you know, the widespread distraction. Contrast that by life today. And, you know, more and more I can't stand to be in a city. And when I get out in the middle of nowhere, the quieter it is. The more it is in alignment with the quietude that I have within myself, you know, and that's as you, as you indicated meditation and so many of these other experiences have led me to actually crave the converse as an adult where. All I want to do is go in the middle of nowhere where there's nothing and just sit there.
0: (laughs) Now now, now you know why there are monks and uh, there are places of contemplation and why, you know, 30-day, you know, six-week retreats uh, are popular, right? Because it's easier to do it. But the real challenge is in real life, when rubber meets the road, when you're actually dealing with people and so on, can you maintain that, what I call a constant perspective? You know, it's uh, Sam Harris, uh, you know, is uh, well known uh, in this field, and what what he's uh, said is that you know this is not something deep inside the brain. In fact, it's something more superficial. It's like the an, an optical blind spot. You know, when when you're shown where your blind spot is, you you will know that you have a blind spot. Right? You're shown that in school, and being able to shift to your quote-unquote, true identity as this consciousness. In fact, he says, consciousness is all you have because it's everything that's where everything is appearing, right? And uh, the, the difficult part of it uh, is this, is that you can't get into that consciousness from the self or from the ego because it simply arises, you know, the self simply arises from the ego. So you have to have a way of uh, actually uh, uh, making the illusion, you know, uh, disappear, right? Uh, uh people say you know i have to obliterate the self and so on well that's not really the case you know uh the self uh, you have to be able to witness the self as arising because it's just another another content of consciousness much like a sound or much like you know something that you're looking at uh much like a thought or emotion it's the self that's doing that temporary integration as uh, 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 there's a guy, uh, Gary Weber, I think is his name, uh, you know, he says, it's an ad hoc, you know, putting together. And then you start believing that that's you. And that's <laughs> that's what fucks us up, right? Yeah. <laughs> and But the, the, the characteristic of um, uh, why I think, uh, Luke, uh, and I am grateful for you, uh, actually, for doing these types of podcasts, is that I? It is it, my conviction that uh, enlightenment of the human species is actually an emergency. Uh, we should wake up. I mean, I'm just going to start with the coronavirus pand- uh, virus pandemic and then really drill down into why it's necessary. Look, we are. Um, this is a global pandemic. You know, um, I, I I don't joke around when I say that my uh, cause, my, one of my main causes, is. It's near-Earth asteroids, right? I was once stopped by a lady. I was running by uh, the U.S. Capitol and said, come join our cause. And and um, I said, uh, what's your cause? He said, you know, child labor in China. I said, isn't it the best cause? You know, I said, no, not, that's not my cause. So what's, what's your cause? I said, well, near-Earth asteroids. And she's sort of like, okay. Um, and this is like, the, the this coronavirus pandemic is like a near-Earth, this is just like an asteroid that hit us right but look at the way we're responding we're responding in a in a very very Balkanized way you know we blame each other we begin to hate each other as groups we you know uh we don't have as a species you know uh we we don't have that kind of awareness a species awareness instead of saying uh you know blaming each other and and rushing to do this and that there should be the part of us that uh, uh, as a species, uh, realizing that we're only one of the species on Earth, the Earth is our only host, right? Uh, that that sustains us. We're like viruses, you know. It sustains our reproduction uh, in a single host. So we don't have this. Like, where do we bring our species from here on out, right? What's our direction, right? If all we do is survival and reproduction, we're fucked, you know. Look, we're gonna be, yeah, we're gonna be. Uh, surviving, reproducing, and then going out to another planet, and then do what again? Survive and reproduce, and then go out to another planet. You know, if we're going to be like that, then we're doomed, right? And then you say, so what? You know, it's that, but, you know, I, I, don't think, I don't think without a species-wide awareness of where we want to bring ourselves, right? Because we have the capacity to do so. We're f- fucking doomed. We're going to destroy ourselves and our planet. Uh, and it, this this is the type of of uh, consciousness that comes out on the other side of what we're uh, when we're talking about uh, eliminating suffering, right? Uh, Buddha said enlightenment is the cessation of all suffering, and suffering is actually for me it has a very very simple definition, right? Suffering is preventing yourself your true self. To identify with the illusory ego or with the self referential system that's there that's temporary, right because it's it's that uh, which on a very simple way like will tell you it's it's a, a, a craving and avoidance right or craving and aversion it's, it's, this, it's this thing you know oh, it can go from as little as I want that cup of tea right? it's very little, but you notice. That it's coming from that eye, from that little thing, and that's a minor exercise, right? What more when you're looking at relationships? I hate that person, right? I, you know, and and then when we go to to the uh, to to us as a species, we think that each of us, you know, is special. No, it's not. We're part of this uh, species, and we should wake up together and take a look at the effects of that. I want more. Uh, you know it's the ego that says "I want more profit right uh, i i we already know there are these studies that you know uh in the u s after about seventy five thousand dollars you know the 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 your happiness doesn't increase by much anymore right maybe it has increased uh, lately but uh you know that was uh, that was a study but so if you wake up in uh uh, says there is a, a abiding enlightenment and a non-abiding one. Non-abiding one is like a fl- flickering fl- fluorescent lamp, right? It comes up every now and then. And the abiding one is just, this continuous shift in knowing that, that the, your ego is not you. you and you have to rest in that knowing, right? Now when you go and apply this to the 8 billion of us in this planet just wanting... Wanting more cars, wanting more fossil fuel use, wanting to pollute more, wanting more, you know, uh, you want, 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 right? And, uh, you know, your daughter has to get the most beautiful prom dress and that's drilled into her head, you know. Uh, then s- what are we really? How, you know, take a look, even that, uh, uh, you know, uh, we'll get more profits if you use more, more, more um, uh, uh, child. Labor will get more profits if we uh, actually um, uh, do human trafficking. So, from the little, the little want of wanting tea, right? We are. That's actually the effect of having uh, a, a, a enlightenment, or or uh, not being able to recognize that the self is illusory. And we already know by neuroscience, we don't even have to invoke Buddhism to do this, that you know, uh, it's an illusion. Uh, it's, it resides in the default mode network, as uh, has already been elucidated. For example, uh, Robin Cartwright-Harris, the researcher on, at the Imperial College of London, has shown right, psilocybin. You know, that's why uh, mushroom trips, right? they, they actually... Uh, The full-blown psilocybin, not the microdose, with a full-blown psilocybin treatment or a a, 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 a dose or a full-blown LSD dose, actually, basically, just just uh, quiets or silences that self entirely. Right? It it, it silences itself entirely. So you can actually uh, uh, you can actually take that as an experience of what it is to be selfless, right? But then as uh, one, one uh, uh, author who has uh, studied this for 20 years and took you know, heroic doses of, of um, LSD and wrote about it, he was actually a professor of theology uh, of all things, right? But, but um, he, he said that this is called a temporary path, right? Uh, psychedelics can only be temporary. You need to have a practice. Uh, afterwards to maintain it it's like you know you don't go to the gym once to build your muscles right you go and constantly do it so much as like you have a physical gym to do these things you have a mental gym right in order to be able to take a look at the contents of consciousness and say that's not you right you're you're that's just arising from you the uh dog has a which is a a spiritual practice that was uh, actually unfolded into Buddhism, right? Is a f- uh, it says that you're like a mirror, and uh, you remain and change, and everything is just reflected in there, right? So this and that's like the self, right? If if you um, imagine that there's this um, this optical illusion, right, of the uh, four circles with cutouts on the edges, and then when you look at it, it looks like there's a square in the middle. The self is kind of like that, right? Uh, it, it, it's uh, it, it's uh, it's an illusion. It's not what it seems to be. It's not that it's not there. It's just not what it you th- what you uh, actually own it to be. Because when it owns you, you're fucked, man. You are you <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and and for the most part. You know, for the most part, I consider these these are the steroids, right? These are the steroids of um, uh, of your mental building gym, right? The, the psychedelics, but uh, you know, but you still have to do the work. You still have to exercise. You have to still do that. And then when you're not on cycle, you know, you you, you know, I, I've I've had bodybuilder clients, so I know they go on cycle and then they go they go off cycle, right? And when you're not on cycle, you still have to do the the, the exercise. And some people do it through meditation, some people have other practices, you know, and and um, that's uh, why I feel that there is an emergency right now, because especially it's made acute, you know, by our current condition uh, of this pandemic. It just shows us how uncomfortable we are with our thoughts, you know, and it's just looking at us... It, it, look, just do an exercise on just examining the things that you see that are being produced on YouTube and examining what's being produced on Twitter and so on and so forth, we can't stand ourselves, right? Like, and, and why is that? It's because we are, we're basically identified with a self-referential system. We're identified with the ego. And as long as we keep on doing that, we're continuing going to destroy this habitat. Because as I said, you know, from a simple want of a cup of tea, it will extend um, uh, to, to, towards um, the world at large. You know, I want more profits and therefore I'll pollute more of the oceans, right? I'll relax more of the uh, Environmental Protection Agency uh, regulations, right? And and look at what happens now, you know, uh, when we're in quarantine, the air is cleaner, all right? Uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed reading was that the vibrations of the earth uh, are, are really... Um, uh less such that those um little little uh, s- s- seismic shakes that normally don't register are finally registering this minor earthquake because the activity of humans actually increase the vibration of the earth so we we have we created this you know and we have to ask uh, ourselves you know until when are we going to do this and why are we doing this and is there a way, you know, what's the best way to put on the brakes on this? And the way to put on the brakes on this is one, to experience what it is to be selfless, right? Uh, uh, I'm not, you know, don't don't ask me to be a source of your DMT or or anything else. you find that yourself. But if you don't know what it is to have no self, you know, then I would encourage you to have that experience. You know, um, even for me, even microdosing is not enough, right? Microdosing can give you that uh, openness feeling, et cetera, et cetera, but the ego is still very much there. You know, uh, uh, you 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 feel it there, right? So, you know, go get an experience or go to a meditation retreat, you know, um, that will cloister you for two straight weeks or, you know, a month or six weeks, you know, uh, et cetera. So, you can see what it is to be alone with your thoughts, right? Uh, And and you could see how people uh, nowadays cannot be alone with their thoughts, right? Because they take it, they take that the thoughts are them, you know, instead of something that just arises from their consciousness. And and then after that, learn a form of meditation. You know, uh, it may be a focus meditation where you're focusing on a single object, like your breath, or an open... Open awareness meditation, where you know it's like playing the xylophone when you're actually, you know, uh, uh, basically uh, taking uh, your awareness to the various components of what's around you. You know what you're seeing, what you're hearing, etc. As just things that are arising. But the trick, uh, you know, that's that's uh, really, um, I think uh, it's it's simple yet complex because other people take fifty years to to get it. Some people get it in an instant. Is to be able to regard thoughts and emotions, you know, as simply the same thing as the sights and sounds that arise, you know, in your consciousness. Why is it that you can let, you know, um, a horn go by and just go blah, and then you know the uh, the the uh, the image of someone you hate comes comes back, and just suddenly you are that person that becomes that image instead of that. Instead of that consciousness saying, oh, you know, image arising, you know, it's just like a sound that's arising. In fact, in Buddhism, you know, thoughts are the, the sixth sense, right? Um, but in, in science, uh, the, the, the thing that is difficult to explain, right, is, is what's called the hard problem of consciousness. And in very, very simple things, people bandy that around all the time as if they know what it means. But when I ask them, what how to say it very simply, you know, they don't seem to know how to express it. So I'm gonna teach you how to, to express it properly. You know, um, it's it's like this. How is it that matter, like the brain, is able to give you subjective experience or the feeling experience? So that is the gap, that is the a hard problem of consciousness to jump from matter right which is the brain into the subjective feeling of experience right and there's a term uh called qualia right we say it's red but your experience of red you know differs from my experience of red we just uh happen to agree that that falls within the same wavelength of what we call red right and and uh uh, uh that's that's the um that's a hard problem of consciousness now what i'm saying here is okay you know people are working on the hard problem of consciousness there are many models of uh of consciousness you know for me consciousness is uh i, I define it very clinically since i'm a clinician um uh, and, and uh, i used to be a computational on neuroscientist once but uh, it, it, very simply you know it's that which goes away when you fall asleep or when you're under anesthesia right so I define it by what what it isn't, right? And there was a paper recently that uh, just uh, I think a couple of weeks ago that uh, basically showed that from the current studies there are structures in the brain, the DMN again, the default mode network, and uh, what's called the dorsal attention network, which is another network in the brain that is more on the uh, uh, on the peripheral cortex. You know that alternate. Um, again, uh, they maintain the balance in order to keep you conscious. Again, this is uh, based on um, uh, the newest studies, right? But I'm not even looking at that. I am looking at something that we can do now because we already know that the self is an illusion, right? We already know where the DMN is. We know that uh, uh, you know, it gives rise to the illusory self that has all our wants, our desires, uh, and so on. Um, and uh, uh, actually, uh, what are the f- the uh, the four attachments? Remember, in Buddhism, is, is actually uh, all all um, all the, the wants or cravings of the self. You know, uh, attachments to things that are sensate, right? Uh, attachments to rituals, attachment to opinions, uh, and attachment to the ego. You know, and this were written a long time ago. <laughs> Right. And now we, we know the neuroscientific basis for the self as arising as a temporary neural network that uh, basically uh, temporarily integrates this experience to someone that says, oh, that's me, right? But that's, that's a f- false me, right? It's, it's, uh, it's just temporary there, uh, creating a story or weaving uh, a story around you. And uh, what it does, it, it does serve a purpose. You know, it serves a continuity of you being able to tell a story of who Luke's story was from childhood to now. But in truth, there is really no more uh, of that child Luke that's gone. It's just all in memory, and memory isn't real. <laughs> it's just you know patterns uh, of of uh, electrical impulses that that form uh, that, that form in your brain and they get activated. So being able to, uh, to, uh, uh, distinguish, you know, consciousness from the emergence of the self, you know, it means that we can already do something right now, right? Uh, because we can, we have techniques, uh, by which, and, and drugs by which you could actually see how the self arises, how the illusion can be busted, how, or, or how it disappears, right? Um, and there are exercises that allow you to more and more, uh, essentially, get rid of the illusion. Right? You don't see the, the illusion anymore. And if the illusion does arise, it's a very, you're very, you very quickly are able to uh, to see it. And how is that useful? Uh, for example, if you are, uh, you know, a teenager, or your daughter wants really that uh, uh, really really beautiful. You know, fifty thousand dollar dress, uh, you know, or a twenty thousand dollar bag, and, and so on and so forth. If you just stay with it, you see that's simply a desire that's arising, right? It's not owned by anyone, right? And and um, uh, uh, that's an extreme. Uh, that's an extreme example, but you could see. But that if you just stay with your wants or your cravings, you will see that they dissipate after a while. You know. Uh, but if you think that I really want this and it becomes you, right? The desire becomes you, then you're actually fucked. Be it, then you're going to max out your credit card. So <laughs> we, we, the tools are very, very simple. Uh, I mean, um, um, have you watched um, Duncan Trussell's Midnight Gospel yet?
1: No, I haven't.
0: Yeah, it's it's it's, it's really great. Um uh, but uh one of the techniques uh that uh his mom and even um Ming Yu Rinpoche, right? Um who is a, a great uh, one of the great teachers that are uh alive, is you know, it's very simple, even not without drugs, on um, how to see how to just sink into your consciousness without the self. Imagine yourself as very tired at the end of the day from work, right? Uh from work and you just Plunk yourself down in a lazy boy and exhale, you know, just uh, do a deep exhale. And at that moment in time, when you do a deep exhale, there is no problem in the world. There is no problem to get solved. In that brief moment, you know, you are experiencing selflessness, right? It's, it's, uh, and just imagine if that, if that state, Stayed with you all the time, and um, the other example that they of of course usually give is when you're climbing a mountain that you've always wanted to climb. Right when you reach the summit, there is this brief period where you have ab- absolutely no desire to climb any other mountain. Yet it's a brief window, and say, it's a "Good one!" Oh yeah, this is great, right? But then right after the summit, you know, for some, it's like you know, uh, a few minutes for some, it's hours of just being there, contented, and then yes, I'm going to climb a higher mountain next, and then you're back to the ego craving again. Right? So, and it goes to everything else, you know. I, I I want to have a girlfriend. I want to have children. I want to have this. I want to have that. Want 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 want. Right? Uh, without you, you know, uh, if if you're going into that state without examining really that that are that's the Craving and whether or not you're going to act on it, that you know, we're as a species, we do that all the time. We're actually kind of fucked, you know.
1: I well, I think something that's uh, that's incredible about the work that you do is you, as you've indicated, are a scientist, and in that realm, you're working in the linear, in the in the mathematics, in quantifiable data. Uh, but at the same time, you're personal life and perspective is based in this mysticism. And I thought that was one of the most interesting things about you as someone who has a really high IQ, which we've talked about. I know you have the humility to not brag about it, but you're a really, really smart guy on paper, uh, is I find that it's so fascinating that you're able to bridge those two worlds. And I, I experience that that's difficult for many people to do that have uh, the propensity toward analytical thinking. And... Combined with a really high i q and a really high level of intelligence, because you can't get yourself into the spiritual realm from a realm that is in a different dimension, so to speak right so it's like you're in two there's two different paradigms of the hard science and the math versus the realms of consciousness, and I think where many people get stuck in the idea of believing in a a, a, a higher power or in the concept of consciousness or the higher self versus the egoic analytical, uh, mind-based self is that it's unprovable, right? It's like, how do you, how do you yeah. pre- concept of God? Yeah. So you yeah caught between these worlds that are really in different dimensions. It's like trying to prove the sky to a fish. You're, you're in a, yeah, I, you're in a different dimension. So how, how, how do you, how do you breach that for someone who's caught in the provable Tangible linear world of science versus a mystic who's just completely far out into the ethers and existing in the quantum field all the time.
0: See, if you're looking at uh, physics right now, right? Um, I'm lucky uh, because uh, uh, for for the past few years, my reading has devolved to one book a week. You know, which is really terrible. Uh, uh, and now, since since this quarantine and everything. Since I arrived last December, you know, I've been reading one to two books a day, which is uh, really fantastic. So I've been able to catch up on uh, really lots of books and lots of journals uh, and so on. And I had an incredible experience uh, in late January. Where I was actually laughing for 24 hours, and uh, it's you know one of those classified as a as a, an enlightenment experience, and I, I'm, I'm I'm I am writing about that. But I was looking back at uh, what prompted that experience. Right? Uh, it was a 24 hour laughing fit, la- laughing fit, and I was uh, you know Dong Chen, as I said, as a spiritual practice, right? Has this pointing out instructions where the master or the teacher actually points out to you the true nature of mind, right? And uh, there was a challenge that came from a student of mine that said, okay, can you teach, it, teach this to people who are scientific and rational, right? How do you teach that? So I said, can there be scientific pointing out, pointing out instructions, right? I, I'm calling those Ted Chen." So after ten, but uh, anyway, the, the first one that I was reading about was actually, and you're asking for the bridge, right? Is, is looking at the state of physics where it is right, right now. Now, if you are not like Eric Weinstein, who thinks that the string theory, you know, um, um, is probably made up, uh, well, we make up things anyway in order to secure continued funding for physics. Uh, then you you take a, if you take a look at the, the models right now you see that there's really only one missing ingredient, you know, the missing ingredient there, the unified field, unifying the, you know, people are always saying, you know, uh, the theory of everything uh, or, or unifying, you know, uh, general relativity with uh, uh, quantum mechanics is, is the only thing missing there really is consciousness. So there's a guy. Uh, his name is David Chalmers, who said, "So why don't we assign it uh, essential, right? As as an uh, as a proper as, as there, it's core to everything. And you know, atoms, quarks, leptons, whatever they have, what's called proto consciousness, and they assemble themselves into all of these things. So At the core, there is consciousness, right?" So, uh, and that removes, so the unified field is consciousness and that removes a lot of the problems in physics. In fact, the math will show that if you put it in, you know, um, it will solve a lot of the problems that's that's missing, including the hard problem of consciousness. But then that's hard to prove, right? It's hard to prove that such exists. And uh, I take the position of Stephen Pinker, you know, um, out of Harvard, where he says, well, maybe that's where our knowledge ends, so that there are points, there are, there are certain areas of knowledge by, by which the limitations of our thinking and the limitations of our, our brain apparatus is actually limited. Well, maybe it is. That, that's why maybe it's pointless to ask proof, right, uh, of that consciousness. Because if you do that, then uh, I was working on this problem um, in uh, 1988, it's a long time ago, and I was doing computational studies uh, uh, on this. And one of the things that we were asking is, well, you know, how can you say that a rock is not conscious? Right? It's because you cannot become a rock. And I think it's hubris for us to say that only we have consciousness. You know, I, I proposed the term uh, artificial ethology in 1990 in a paper. Uh, ethology is a study of behavior and not artificial intelligence. And for a simple reason that if I see a child sitting down in a room, I will not say that the child is intelligent unless the child performs an intelligent behavior. Therefore it's probably best to use artificial ecology, right? Uh, In, in, in order to do that. So when I was uh, doing this, I was actually uh, simulating microchips. What I was doing was I mathematically modeled the neuron, right? I mathematically modeled the neuron and what it does. And I put, Three hundred and eighty-one of them together uh, to mimic the nervous system of a worm called C. elegans. Uh, for those of you who don't know, C. elegans is like the workhorse now in anti-aging because you could you could actually um, very easily count, you know, the, the the neurons. And I was the first person to actually produce a database of where all those connections were made. You know, my book, which was produced, which was uh, published in nineteen ninety-two you know, it was used by less than 100 labs around the world. And then suddenly now, a lot of people are reading and using it because of the resurgence of artificial intelligence, right? And that there's a name for it. It's called, now called the connectome instead of a neural circuit database of all the connections in CLECANs. <laughs> now there's an ohm for it. So when I was doing that, and it was not, it was suicide actually to propose uh, research like that, is actually more simple. It said, if I take out the circuit that's for feeding, take out the circuit that's for mating, take out the circuit that's for locomotion, will I find a circuit, uh, in the nervous system that says, now I feed, now I mate, you know, now I move? And you find when, when I did that model, you know, I, I found out that I couldn't find such a circuit. And that's when. I started belonging to the camp of the self uh, is actually an illusion. You know that which is the commander of all of those doesn't really exist. You know it just is an epiphenomenon. It's something that comes up from the complexity of the system that's uh, being studied. And if the C. elegans has 381 uh, neurons, you know we have uh, 86 billion neurons. So and you you imagine a big uh, jump that is. So that made it easy, you know, um, uh, because I love, uh, math for some reason, you know, I didn't really ask for it, but I, I have an app for it. You know, speaking that kind of language makes it easier to bridge, to see what's missing in terms of our understanding. So if, if you, if you go now from, from, uh, uh, physics and what's missing, right? And putting in that element of consciousness in everything, and and then you go to the nervous system where you see that the self is just, uh, you know, an ad hoc neural network that just arises, you know, every now and then. Then you could see how easy it is for me now to go form this bridge between that, you know, which is, uh, extremely mathematical, extremely experimental. You know, I, I was, uh, you know, watching worms swim, you know, uh, they would swim towards a place where there's food and they would swim away from, uh, the place where there's vinegar, you know, because it would hurt them. So it's just like us, you know, we have our sympathetic nervous systems, you know, we either fight or flee, right. And we feed and we reproduce. So, um, Those are very, very uh, primitive things that are already present there as behaviors, right? So these are, for me, these are patterns of energy that are already there, right? So what we're doing is simply we're we're just carrying them over, but now that we know them, you know, the question, the more important question is, what do we do about these things? So it's I'm lucky to have uh, learned about you know uh, the pre-Buddhist uh, born spiritual tradition and uh, the Buddhist uh, traditions, you know, uh, specifically, I mean, the Vajrayana tradition, but of course this Theravada and there's Mahayana, the three main, you know, and the Zen coming in from the Mahayana. And if you take a look at the teachings uh, and so on, and uh, which is why I am writing about this, is that you can take a look at what the practices entail. The practices actually entail, you know, Going against the grain, some of our natural programming. Right, uh, going against the grain of some of our natural programming. Look in the biohacking world. What do we do? Look, you know, um, uh, there. Uh, if if uh, you have a biological drive of hunger, right, uh, in order to survive, what do you do to counteract that in the biohacking world? You fucking fast. Right, and you, you, we have all sorts of uh thing. But if you take a look at it from from a spiritual perspective, they've already been doing that. You know, some you know even Jesus Christ is known to have done forty day fasts, right? Where he was tempted by the devil. Well, of course, you know, you're you're when you're fasting for forty days, uh, and, and 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 you have your uh, default mode network in in a hundred percent mode. There, you know, all the demons will will come up definitely, right? It, it, so you could see how how easy it is to become uh, to bridge from from physics to to neuroscience. Uh, neuroscience, for example, uh, look when when say you're looking at a pen, right? You're not really seeing the pen. You just have a concept of the pen, right? You're seeing, you know, you're just seeing what it is, right? You're seeing what it is, but really, it all it is is a mapping or. Uh, representation in your brain of a concept of a pen. So, uh, you know, the the statement, uh, what you see around you isn't really reality. And the more difficult concepts come from Douglas uh, Hoffman. I don't know whether or not you've encountered his work. He, he, he has a book, The Case Against Reality, you know, where he says that um, the reality we see is uh, really, we see them only because of evolutionary fitness function or how fit we are to survive and reproduce, right? Um, uh, essentially, you know, um, is uh, uh, Einstein's question, you know, when when uh, when I'm not looking at the moon, does it exist? You know, uh, essentially Douglas Hoffman says, well, we see the moon only because of what it can give us in terms of fitness function, perhaps to be able to, to see at night when it's full, you know, and uh, confer some better protection with us or to hunt better at night. But, Um, When we look away from the moon, uh, essentially the brain uh, does a data collection and actually removes that data structure in our brain. So it's no longer there. And and this is now where we're getting at. There is the where the uh, uh, spiritual traditions and the scientific traditions actually meet is that in... In scientific traditions, uh, which is now slowly being eroded, like by by the works of like uh, uh, Doug Hoffman um, and you know uh, pr- proposals on including uh, consciousness as a fundamental property of everything, is is uh, that scientifically we've always proceeded from what's called the empirical rational object perspective, right? So, empirical rational or objective means that there's a world out there. You know, that, uh, that we're seeing. And when you keep our eyes closed, it's still there, right? And that's a simple way of objective reality. And it's the way that we are actually treating ourselves, right? Uh, it's, uh, uh, but the, the other one, is that there is no objective reality out there everything is being projected by us it's like we're wearing virtual reality goggles right we're wearing virtual reality That's goggles and we're projecting everything ourselves and we see what we want to see and you could see how how the whole uh you know from from this uh, mathematical work uh comes you know the the old saying you create your own reality you know by by putting in you know, your, your VR. And the big question, uh, in fact, is what happens? You know, you've, you were born with this virtual reality. What happens when you take it off? Right? So what happens when you take it off is exactly what happens when you relax fully, uh, you know, and surrender yourself to pure consciousness. Everything disappears, right? Everything is just an appearance by itself. There is no emotion attached to it. There is no thought attached Passage. There's no clinging, you know, uh, because that gives you the suffering. You know, you see ice cream and you cling to the desire to have ice cream. You know, you see a beautiful body and you cling to the desire to either make yourself that beautiful or have that beautiful uh, person. You know, so so suddenly there's there's not there, there's none of that. So um, and so we're tied back, right? Uh, so all of these all of these things now uh, are coming to to the the same conclusion right we just need to to accept certain things into our scientific models and then we will see that we're actually not that far off but the whole issue that i'm after is that we should have a significant number of us human beings you know making that transition the favorite um uh uh, the favorite Great analogy that I have uh, uh, given by some Harris he said all our lives were were um, seated on a train and we're used to looking outside and on on uh, on the view right, but every so often, like when you do a meditation practice or even spontaneously right with the right angle of light and with the right angle of your of, of your head, you suddenly see your reflection in the mirror, and that's how Superficial, really, the whole point of enlightenment is, and the whole point is being able to see that that illusion that that's you in the glass of 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 the window and looking uh outside at the same time Ramdas you know uh famously said and famously repeated uh being in this world but not of this world right so uh, these are uh, these are the kinds of—they uh, are not juxtapositions. These are kinds of integrations you could do very nicely now with the science that we have and with the kind of thinking that's there. But did, that didn't happen right away, right? The, the research on consciousness was a suicide, you know. Just like my career on on it was killed, you know, by a famous university by saying that my assertions were wrong and apologized to me ten years later. But I was no longer working in the field. Right, and now uh, you could see a resurgence of my of that field. Uh, you know, thirty years later, I'm I'm already you know uh, uh, you know practicing as, a, as as a clinician, doing other things. But there is, uh, and and, uh, and again, Luke, uh, people like you, you know, uh, who have made it a point to actually inform people about this, to uh, make sure that you can motivate them, you know, to wake up and sustain that wakefulness, right. Sustain
1: that. I, I um, yeah. There's God. There's so much to unpack there. I I have this fantasy of taking all of the old paradigm thinkers and all of the people that are unable to break free from the the lower nature animal self that have no experience of having the witness perspective at all, especially those in power, and putting LSD or ayahuasca in the water supply. <laughs> 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 Twitter and it doesn't matter it, if it's like they're on the left or the right or whatever. I'm just like God. I wonder what would happen if you just gave this person a healthy dose of DMT, you know, or even or ketamine or any any of these things, you know, that are that are a rocket ship at least to give you a glimpse, you know. And you mentioned Ram Dass.
0: Uh-huh.
1: You know, eventually Ram Dass discarded the pursuit of psychedelics as a pathway by which to achieve enlightenment because he because
0: it's temporary, yeah.
1: Ultimate futility in that, mm-hmm. but I you know, subjectively would, would give the analysis in my own personal experience that God, it could have taken a lot longer had he, or in my own experience, not had those peak experiences to indicate to you that, ah, okay, there's something way beyond my day-to-day humdrum perception or the perception of the self from the self, right? It's like Mm -hmm. those windows into consciousness are only open temporarily but as you said if you integrate practices to keep them open and find ways on the natch using just you know your own self discipline and and uh, habitual practices that don't require anything exogenously that you can live more and more of the time in the world and not of the world where you're living your life and you have a body and you want the ice cream and you're on a Zoom call. You're making a podcast. You're doing all the things, but at the same time, you're observing oneself doing those things and having.
0: Yes, the... you're in a you're in a role. It's not your identity. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, but there... you're in a role. It's not your identity.
1: Right, right. So there's oh man, there's one story I've got I've got to tell you, and you know we've been going for a while here, and I, I appreciate your time, and it doesn't sound like you want to stop, and I don't either. So you just let me know. But uh... well, it's you, Luke going going back to the uh the ketamine things while you were speaking at so many points I wanted to butt in and go oh my god Ted I have to tell you this thing that happened okay. so so I had as if maybe I don't know maybe 10 times after I saw you uh I would do those little microdose journeys and just I'd listen to a Joe Dispenza meditation or mm. I'd listen to some David R Hawkins you know some like audio teachings that I really wanted to integrate or something I, I wanted to just delve into or sometimes even just some pleasant music, right? And I would sort of just lay there for maybe an hour, or even in the hyperbaric chamber a couple of times, I would mm-hmm. go in there and take a little ketamine and uh, do a brain tap journey with a little light show and you know some uh, uh, hemispheric synchronization tracks and such and uh, and had very minor experiences. So the way I was doing that was with trokies. Or uh, an oxytocin and ketamine spray that a doctor uh, of mine prescribed me, and those sprays are 150. I think it's 150 milligrams per spray, and I would do two sprays, and so that would be 300 milligrams. And it was a you know light journey. I mean, you don't want to walk around. You know, I like being very still and not moving and having a very conscious intention about it. But it's not. It's not terribly psychedelic. And then I talked. You're to... rich, man. That's
0: fucking expensive. <laughs>
1: <laughs> talked to that doctor again. Uh, he said, "Well, what we're doing now is we're doing these lozenges, which is what a lot of the the ketamine assisted therapists are using in lieu yeah. of IVs, especially the ones now that are working remotely, mm. as I'm going to do soon with uh, Dr. David uh, Ra- uh, Rabin, who I think you might have met." Um, you know, clinical um, psychiatrist, neuroscientist, and uh, a researcher in psychedelics, and so we're going to do a guided um, ketamine journey. But anyway, oh, that's perfect. perfect. And sent me these lozenges that are three hundred milligrams, which is about what I'd been doing and having these sort of relatively calm, Ooh. easy journeys. So one night, um, it's like eleven p.m. I'm in bed with my girlfriend. I have a new girlfriend now, and all is well. So thank you for. Thank you for that. Um cuz you gave me some great advice about relationships too. I'm just I'm going to cut to that. I said, you know, I was struggling a little bit at one point and it was difficult. The day you came over actually and uh and you said, "Man, the way I look at it, Luke is like if your relationship is so much work, you're in the wrong relationship." And that was that was a paradigm shifting statement to me because that there is, you know, this group think that like, oh, you really got to be in the trenches and just working on stuff, and it's going to bring out the shadow, and you guys just have to be continually fighting and then working it out and fighting and working it out, and, and I really had this erroneous belief that that was true. And uh, my lovely partner Allison, who's upstairs now, I mean, it is the exact opposite of that. So, so you were right. It's a different kind of work. It's a heart opening, an intimacy allowing, a surrendering into vulnerability kind of work that. Doesn't have to be drama. It's just it's love. So thank you for that. Anyway, I'm um, just as a side you note have to be of help. It was no, it was a powerful lesson because you seem like a really happy guy. <laughs> so it's like I take advice from people that have what I want that are that are <laughs> or or they're modeling some formula that is working for them. I don't listen to people that talk about it. I listen to people that live it. You know. So thank you. Uh, I digress. Anyway, so. It's about 11 at night. Um, I'm kind of awake. I don't really feel like going to sleep, but my girlfriend, Allison, has fallen asleep next to me. So I had an idea. I thought, oh, I got those ketamine lozenges. I haven't tried one of those yet. I'll just take one of those, put it under my tongue, listen to a ketamine uh, playlist on Spotify and my headphones, and I'll just you know, gently fall asleep afterward, as I had done many times before. I put this thing in my mouth, (laughs) 15 minutes later, dude, I... I can't feel my body. I'm paralyzed. I can't move my body. I'm sitting there going, holy shit, what if What if I'm dying and I can't even move to shake my girlfriend to call 911? I mean, I started to get... You going. can't. Yeah. And then I went into this place. I mean, the playlist helped too, because it was so psychedelic, but it was like, I can only describe it as like a really deep ayahuasca journey, but where you're paralyzed and can't move. You know, which doesn't sound yes. clearly pleasurable. But what I experienced was being taken to the point of non-existence, mm-hmm. to where even when I opened my eyes, the room was gone because it was dark in the room. When I closed my eyes, mm-hmm. I was gone. The girlfriend—that's all not real. The pandemic's not real. This house isn't real. The whole life was not real. There was no life to go back to, and there was a moment of 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 fear and trepidation there because. I thought that perhaps I had I had transcended this physical dimension and was in some other dimension and had, in fact, become trapped there where I wasn't going to be able to come back to here. And I was faced with the attachment of this experience and this personality and the self and the me. And I had
0: to make a decision
1: to just breathe into it and let go because I couldn't make it stop.
0: And, yes. Uh, you know, um, my advice... Yeah. Uh, because I I... Do uh, ketamine therapy about uh, twice a week, right? Which is uh, yeah, and as a not a clinician, uh, I have a therapist, but I I, I seem to know more about it than my therapist does. No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) My therapist is great. Um, No, as a I I have studied pharmacology, so you know I I know my ketamine quite well. Uh, Look, 300 milligrams is really way too high. For those who are doing turkey, for example, I actually usually advise them to start at a very low dose of 25, just to keep uh, going, right? Um, Unfortunately, at those low doses, some some people are actually very sensitive to uh, nausea, right? But it doesn't guarantee that High dose won't give you nausea, but uh, it's, it, it's, it's a sensitivity phase, right? And, and then, um, you increase it the next week to about, you know, a 50 by, by 25 and a hundred should get you there. So 300 is like three times right. what I would recommend. And here's what I uh, actually tell them. Empty your bladder fully before you get to bed right uh before you you close your eyes empty your bladder fully it would be better if your room was darkened make sure that you have music in there that you actually like and I prefer no lyrics uh, music with no lyrics is a lot better than music with lyrics right uh, something that would just for me something that's repetitive uh, would be great and then when you already anticipate in your head that you are going to be like a corpse. However, put this in your mind, right? As as a physician, for me, uh, uh, my mind is like it does not depress respiratory function, so it will not stop you breathing. That's why it was a good, it's such a good anesthetic in the battlefield for soldiers, right? It it does not depress respiratory function, and then of course the fear that came up is like. What if I choke on my own saliva while in it? So, and, and then you know, if you start panicking and start swallowing and swallowing, it's, it's going to get you into trouble. So, Ted, what you're saying is the the uh,
1: you want to sort of uh, work your way up to the effective dose on ketamine Yes. And yes. environmentally and in terms of your expectations, understand that what you're doing is safe. And this is not like a blanket recommendation for anyone and everyone. Yes. always say with any journeys or plant medicines or psychedelics, I mean, it's not for everyone and it's not for everyone all the time. So
0: uh, for me personally, what I did was I worked my way up You know, uh, from that. And uh, for me, 100 milligrams, you have to expect that your body will totally get paralyzed. It will totally get paralyzed. You're, you know, if you're afraid of locked-in syndrome, don't do it. You know, locked-in syndrome is when you're fully conscious and your body can't move, right? But that's exactly what will happen. Um, but what's, uh, uh, as I said, that, it activates the, the, the glutamate in your brain. So the, the, the your cortex is actually quite active, right? And when that, when that's active, like your posterior parietal cortex, your dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, when they're active, they usually shut down your default mode network, which is made up of the medial prefrontal cortex uh, and, and the posterior cingulate cortex mainly. But anyway, um, those are midline structures. So it quiets down. That's why what I'm, what I'm... The quick way of explaining it in what it does to you is that it does a reset, right? It quiets it. And since uh, depressives are known, right, to to have a hyperactive uh, default mode network because there's a strong ego there that's owning a lot all of the story that's actually quieted down. When you are at a high dose, like at a hundred milligrams, then that really, really goes down. So 300 for you was really fucking high, man. And what you should remember there the assurance that, well, you know, it doesn't depress your respiratory function. Second is you have to remember to surrender. Otherwise you will panic, you know?
1: That's where I got, that's where I got to, because the experience was, as I said, was I, I was able to discern that there was a witness perspective, the higher self, the true self, the me. And then there was the self that was afraid that it wasn't alive anymore. And the observation allowed me to see that <laughs> if there had been someone there that I that I could have just tapped and said, Hey, am I still here? And they said, Yeah, you're still here, then the surrender would have come much easier. And that I think leads to the, you know, the the wisdom in having a guide in any experience like this, especially when you're gonna go deeper. Had I had a therapist there going, Okay, Luke, what are you feeling now? I go, Oh, wait, there's still a me, okay. But because I didn't want to wake my girlfriend up and freak her out or have her call 911 or something, uh, I just had to stay in it. And then it brought me to that place of just, well, if I'm never coming back and I'm dead or in another dimension permanently and there's no more Luke and there's no more life and podcasts and all these things, okay, here we go. And I just breathe and I let go. And then I was safe. And it really was just in making that decision to fully let go. And, uh, and then as I started, as as it started to subside, which is one of the great things about that particular medicine is it it doesn't last, you know, eight hours, 10 hours, like some psychedelics do, but it started to subside. And I just thought to myself, okay, note to self, Luke, take less next time, have a guide. Tell someone, you know, like tell someone you're going to do it. Because that was the thing because no one knew it added to that sense of isolation. And like, mm-hmm. oh, shit, I am truly alone here because no one even knows I'm in this other dimension that I'm caught in. How's anyone going to come after me and fetch me out of here? You know? So it was um, yeah. it was an educational experience. Let me just say that. And, you know, one that I would not recommend people uh, replicate in that fashion. But it was profoundly interesting um, in that it was... I would say as psychedelic, if not more than many ayahuasca journeys and other things that I've done in the past. Yes, it was.
0: It's, it's just hell. shorter acting. Yeah, it's just shorter acting. In fact, there was a mention uh, of, of uh, uh, just recently because uh, what we're doing now for treatment resistant depression or TRD, right? And uh, you know, I recommend if someone is considering ketamine therapy for uh, depression uh, and so on. And you've not been helped by uh, uh other uh pharmacological agents, is you have uh do it with a ketamine therapist, right? And the ketamine therapist is usually either a separate doctor or the same doctor as a psychiatrist, because the best outcomes come from someone uh who is integrated with the psychotherapy of it, where you talk about uh the experience uh, and so forth. If you um you know it's not a recreational drug right uh, i know that it's called special k and uh and so on you know at 25 milligrams i have uh, i i had a a different uh response to it uh you know when when i when, when i took that the first time i took it i was extremely nauseated and the second time uh, I took it, I wanted to solve mathematical problems. So it was like, <laughs> these, these are, are two separate experiences. After that, you know, you begin to, to get into the uh, anesthesia modes. However, what I recommended to a friend of mine, um, um, is, uh, who is a ketamine therapist, I told him that there's a portion of uh, the journey uh, with ketamine that's very, very hypnagogic, right? it means you can hypnotize yourself at that state and you're already at a hypnotic state. So I said, why not when you are in that state, because you know what phase is going to be based on the dose, right? Put in like the patient's or or, or the client's words in there and hypnotizing himself to be this, 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 and this when the subconscious is more receptive. I said, hey, this is a drug-induced hypnosis after all, then why don't you just uh, utilize that? So rather than, uh, you know, filling it with music, you know, at that particular point in time, you fill it with suggestions. It's better if the suggestions, of course, are in your own words. But that's just an idea that I had, just taking a look at the faces of of ketamine.
1: On that note, do you happen to know what brainwaves are predominant in in the midst of a ketamine journey? Are you in like theta or
0: that? You're in in theta, right? The deep part, you're in theta. But your your brain is awake, see. So you're you're not doing delta. Right. What I want to see, and what I, I want to see, is actually a study of whether or not there will be bursts of high gamma. Well, you know, it can be your enlightenment drug, which I've been trying to. So look, if I can teach people to have a practice of of uh, being able to see that the is an illusory. Uh, neural network that just comes up in your brain. Can I come up with some trochee that you shove it in, and for eight to twelve hours you're totally conscious of when your ego's coming up? <laughs>
1: you know, yeah. I like that idea a lot. That brings me to the other thing, and we covered this a little bit last time. And I'm just going to have to interview you again because I have fifty more questions, and we're at like how <laughs> do we've been going for a while? <laughs> three. No, there's so many things. I'm like, oh, I gotta ask him about this and that and this and that. But last time you were talking about this, pharma uh, wasca or ayahuasca. Yes, I called it and yes, indicated that you have an aversion to nausea, but you do like the positive benefits and uh, you know explorations of um, of ayahuasca. And so mm-hmm. I, I don't think I asked you last time. Had you taken, you know, drank ayahuasca brew? And then realize like, wow, there's really something there, but can we remove the part that makes you sick? Is that how
0: you arrived at that design? Uh, uh, See, it's like this. I've always, uh, essentially 25 years ago, I was, a a dear friend of mine offered it to me. And I know it's a gift, right? But I was like, this scientist that said, no, I'm not going to. You know, put anything in my system that's not that's not the natural me, blah, blah blah, and I find out that DMT is being produced by the body. So what the fuck? So um, uh, anyway, my 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 uh, first four I said were the natural ones. So uh, it used the Banisteriopsis copy vine, which is an irreversible uh, liver inhibitor, right? And and uh, Psychotria viridis uh, uh, in, in a brew, you know, which is the traditional. So that's uh, the
1: vine brood. and the chacruna leaf. And the leaf, the one yeah. DMT. It's the
0: one containing DMT. And the other one is simply to uh, to prevent the degradation, right? Okay. right. And uh, I, I know many people will get mad at me for saying this, that the vomiting or purging, you know, they say it's part of the process, et cetera. And I go, no, 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 no. That's just an effect of the liver inhibitor. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and that's why it's now incorporated in the lore, you know? You see? You can take it. It's incorporated in the lore. You throw up and so on. You clean yourself. It's like, fuck that, you know? So, um, you know, what I remember distinctly from taking the brew the first time, which was actually funny and at the same time uh, frustrating, is that I would throw up, right? Uh, I would throw up. And then I would see the fragments of my vomitus just come up at me. Like, (laughs) it's like... If that's the that's the hallucinations You I mean, like, <laughs> throw and it just flies right back up at you. So and uh, it was it was incredible. I mean, you know, uh uh the the clouds became angel wings, the sky collapsed into fractals, you know, you could see where you know uh, you know, what's that uh, movie with Jim Carrey, you know, uh finding out that he was swimming to the end of
1: The Truman show?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you you see the you know uh, where the uh, divisions were on uh, the world freckle, but you know I could not, I could not concentrate. I c- kept on throwing up, right? So the experience was so jagged, right? Uh, it was uh, too jagged for me uh, that I, I so I went to take a look. I said, like, why why do I have this type of reaction to it? Aside from the fact that. There are actually um, liver-inhibiting drugs that are used in psychiatry. They're like imipramine or something. They have that they have the same effect. They're irreversible, meaning when they're there, they, you cannot unbind them from the enzyme that does the, the detoxification of the drug, right? And so I looked at my um, DNA study, and I took a look at where the inhibitor, the banisteriopsis copy uh, inhibitor, was working on, and it's working on a gene where I had a very very sluggish performance of the gene so it means I could not really clear out uh the the vine the I could not clear a uh, detoxify the the thing quickly that's why it stayed in my system for a long time and kept me vomiting right? so I said well you know um uh, I'm a pharmacologist so I might as well be able to figure this out because there's something there Right, something in the experience that once you've seen, you can no longer unsee. Right, I did it by the beach, you know, and I looked at the at the sand. I looked at my hand, and I said, "Oh my God, you know, I have hands. They look very alien." And then I looked at the beach, and they look like Carlos Castaneda paintings. Which is like, oh, (laughs) this is interesting. That's why the paintings were like that. Right. Okay, now I got it. Um. Uh. So I said, "Can I make it such that I can have the same experience right without the vomiting part because I can't seem to it's just like you know um a smoking dmt you know it's v- too short to bring anything back. It's just enough to see right um, but not not enough to uh to see other dimensions but not enough to to uh bring anything uh substantial back. True, you get the experience of the death of the self, right? But uh, the the the, um, the uh, 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 disappearance of the illusion. But it's very short. So I, I took a look. Uh, there is a reversible inhibitor uh, that's, uh, um, that I found in Europe. And then, well, okay, that's legal. Now I have to find my own crystals. Well, there's none, right? So you have to extract your own. And so I extracted my own and I started my protocol, right?
1: Okay. Say, one second, Ted, when you say extracted your own, you got raw chacruna leaf and extracted the crystals from that?
0: Yeah, I got, uh, I got another. It's not, it's not the chacruna leaf uh, that I use. If I had chacruna leaf, I would probably have used it. Uh, um, but there are uh, many plants uh, that are high in uh, DMT, for example, uh, the root bark of acacia. You know that's being sold, uh, especially the pink uh, acacia. You know they, they're they're sold and so on. And there's a method of extraction that you can use, or methods of purification that you can use, and so on. But for me, I just wanted to find out whether or not this can be done by protocol, right? Just like a scientist would. You know, you don't know how much. You know. Uh, 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 DMT is in the brew of the shaman, and so on and so forth. And I, I, I'm sorry um, to if I offend other people who who uh, uh, you know consider shaman as essential to spiritual spirituality. I am not, um, you know, I, I am not uh, saying that at all. What I mean is that for people like me who can't stand the, the the throwing up, even if I explain it to the shaman, the shaman would not understand, right? Because I, I'm looking at this from my genetic component and and the uh, basis for why the vomiting is occurring. So um, I had to work out two things. I had to work out the lowest dose that could be administered. I'm a, a canary in a coal mine when it comes to these things. So I'm very sensitive, um, and how much of the inhibitor, reversible inhibitor, to give. So I had to work out that on myself, right? And another friend of mine. Uh, also um, helped me with that, and of course, I would be the the sitter the first time. And the first time I gave it, um, uh, it, the his very first sentence was, "Ted, you know, you should come here. This is where all the shamans go." And I said, "Okay, there's something to their protocol. It's working." You know uh needs to get refined and uh uh and so on and of course, as a physician, I'm also monitoring you know vital signs and all the kind of stuff uh aside from the f- the stream of consciousness that's that's coming out right um, whether or not he wanted to talk or didn't want to talk uh and so on so finally, I got the the uh the protocol worked out, and I did it to myself uh essentially uh once every two months for two years and that's when that's when that's when uh, uh things that happen are you know i would wake up like at 4 in the morning and i would be having like a total body orgasm right it's like and and that's the biggest gift right it's like it's a feeling that uh no matter what happens everything is fine you're it's uh, i call it the unfathomable sense of security right no matter what happens Uh, everything's fine and that occurred for uh, several months uh, even after I took it so there's something in there what whether or not it's the molecule or the mark the molecule I suspect the molecule itself you know uh, creating a different arrangement of the molecules in the brain to allow us to perceive other dimensions even though our brains can only present us the dimension that way Right, they they say that the plants are the teachers. So this this uh, you know, I I would suspect that it would uh, those molecules came from those plants anyway. And it's the uh, vibratory state of the molecule uh, where it wants to bring you, or where it can bring you, right? Um, where you could experience uh, it, when you asked me, it, you where you did I see there's something there? You know, I remember um, Dennis McKenna um, saying he said you know if you're a catholic you take the you take the um holy eucharist and nothing happens but here you take the uh, ayahuasca you know and whether you like it or not something happens so it's the same it's, it's the same thing something happens um but uh, for me it's it's uh, uh the uh realization you know, that there are dimensions out there that you can't see, you know, so from someone who's totally locked in an empirical rational state, seeing that, you know, there, there are other dimensions uh, in there that you can't see and that you cannot traverse and you cannot build rocket ships to get to them. You know, and you know, um, one of the beauty of this uh, beauties of uh, string theory is that uh, you know uh, um, they have to they, the superstring. I think has twenty six dimensions. So you could see that they're working on, on all of these dimensions that are folded upon themselves. So it's not a far um, a connection to make. You know, if these are the models that we're seeing with what we're doing right, and this is what we're experiencing and we're saying, okay, here's, here are the dimensions that we're seeing, then, you know, um, it, it's, it's a, it's an, for me, it's an easy bridge to make because it's where we're converging anyway with an um, uh, objective type of thinking versus a uh, sub- subjective or feeling type uh, of realization, right? Uh, vipassana or insight meditation, you know, would have given this uh, insights a very long time ago. It just so happens that there are certain drugs that do it, right? That that push you, whether you like it or not, it will push you to open that. Other people get too afraid, right? Or other people think that it will last them a lifetime, but it doesn't, you know. Um, It doesn't. You have to have a practice uh, continually after that.
1: Well, this idea of your manipulation of the different molecules in these brews is interesting to me uh, on a number of levels. One of the main levels uh, in that my own subjective experience with ayahuasca, which at the time of this recording has been eight full-on journeys, is that Uh, each one of those, including two of the eight where I didn't really feel any psychoactive effect and was pretty miserable the whole time and still derived benefit and insights after the fact, even though it felt like nothing was happening. The other ones were profound and interdimensional, talking to ETs, just completely otherworldly in every way. Uh, One thing that I found congruent throughout all eight experiences was that the physical sickness part of it And the discomfort was such a distraction to the work that I was there to do. I'm not drinking ayahuasca to see funny colors and like talk to little green men. I have no interest in that. It's it's not productive. I could watch a movie and be entertained and feel less sick for less money. But it's like... um, So I'm having a realization about some childhood trauma, let's just say, and going, oh my God, my mind's being blown. I just had an awareness or an insight that could have taken me 150 years of therapy to get to, right? And that medicine mm-hmm. in one instance is just like, boom, here's what happened to you. Here's how it affected you. This shaped your whole life, which happened to me a number of different times. So I start to go down that wormhole and explore that through the realms of the quantum and from a place of consciousness, because as you said, now I've, I've superseded the physical reality and I'm working interdimensionally now on the consciousness level, and I'm going into that quantum space, and I, through my spiritual will, I'm going in and working on things and having realizations and connecting synapses and dots and really moving the needle on my human and spiritual experience. Then comes the thought, am I about to shit my pants right now? (laughs) You Now You know, should I roll over to my left side? Oh, no, I might puke. Let me roll over this way. Then I'm back in my body, and I'm back there... Being distracted by that, even though I I do have the ability in most cases to surrender to the discomfort. It's it's not that I'm fighting it or that I'm caught in the resistance trap because I'm familiar with that and I know how to get past that, um, as described in my ketamine experience. It took a minute there, but I did I I was able to pass through the surrender portal and let go of the discomfort. So it's it's not that. It's like I'm unwilling to have discomfort and that I can't surrender because I can. It's more like, yeah, 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 okay, I get it. I can move past that, but what if it's just not there and I can just go straight consciousness the whole time and work on what I want to work on, which is healing my family lineage and you know understanding my dharma and my purpose in this incarnation and those really impactful realizations that come. In, in that space. And so when you told me that you had discovered a way to achieve those same objectives spiritually without having to be encumbered by the distraction of the physical discomfort, that really got my attention. Now, I have mentioned that to a few people, just, wow, what a concept this is. And I wonder what this means for the future when people like you and regulatory agencies uh, you know, are... Loosening up the reins as they are with things like psilocybin and and ketamine therapy and things like this, uh, what happens when pharma just becomes part of the repertoire there? How exciting! And the traditionalists on the other side say, "Well, then you're you know you're raping the plant, you're you're discounting the plant's innate intelligence, you're you're shitting on the the shamanic traditions that have lasted thousands of years, et cetera." And I do honor that perspective, but at the same time, it's like to me, those plants and their innate intelligence is what put it in your head to mix those two things together. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's just that the plant innate intelligence isn't the one saying to a chemist, wow, we can make LSD. That's not a plant, but somehow that biological organism carrying around consciousness in the form of a human being in, a, in a, with a chemistry set went, hey, if we put this, this, and this together, something happens, right? So it's like, I respect and honor the traditions, but at the same time, I have to respect the ingenuity of humankind and divine inspiration that works through us humans to develop other means by which to awaken. So it's not like an either-or. To me, it's both are right, both are great. It's what serves you in any given moment. And I can tell you from my experience... I haven't done, you know, the medicine the way you prepare. But I'm guessing if I had a choice between A and B, and I get the same net result with less suffering, uh, I'm going to
0: cho- choose the one with less suffering. With just yeah, look, it. for me, I I really you know, like blue carnitine. I really made it out of necessity because I really wanted, you know, to take it, but it was just you know impossible for me. You're puking, every now and then you have to run to the toilet. You know, when when you go to uh, uh, actual places, they will give you a vomit bucket, right? So it's like it's... But what I'm saying is that we have believed in the story. You know, we've come to believe in a story and that should be the story and so on. I'm I'm not denigrating the traditional forms. In fact, I was with a, a most wonderful... Uh, shaman who travels around the world doing this traditional uh, ayahuasca ceremony like uh, three three weeks ago, and um, I was asked, you know, what do you think is the future of this? And I said, look, look there is very few of him, and it's wonderful for for uh, uh, people to experience what it is to be in a traditional uh, ceremony. But if you ask me what the future is, this is is like what so We have to ask, what are we doing this for, right? Why are we doing this? And for me, it's like, yeah, because we want to wake people up, you know, because uh, what we're doing to the earth and to ourselves and to our relationships with other humans is not sustainable, right? So I said, we now know, for example, receptors for for LSD, you know, the 5-HT2A receptors, and we know the receptors for for uh, DMP and so on and so forth. What's going to happen? I said, the way I predict things is going to happen is That if we want to have, you know, uh, these uh, substances that will show the illusoriness of the self and make clear to you your cravings and aversions, uh, you know, to to things, and and uh, and uh, expose the, the ego for the illusion that it is, then we have to use probably artificial intelligence the way we're using it to find molecules now, you know, for. For drugs, so we take a look at okay, the following DMT works on the following receptors, LSD works on the following receptors, uh, uh, and, and so on, and we'll we'll see. Uh, okay, let's uh, uh, apply. Uh, uh, you know, um, all artificial intelligence is good at is finding patterns. inside right? from the from the large amount of data, it could pick out molecules that can either be natural or synthetic. You know, you can, whether there's a pathway to synthesize them, as, you know, Sasha Shulgin has done for uh, so many years, you know, um, to synthesize them and see what um, uh, their effects are going to be. You know, one of the things that I was thinking early on, for example, even for blue canadiene, does it activate the task positive network or even the central executive network of the brain? That's why it dampens your your um, ego a little bit, so you could focus on your task. Right there's no rumination going on. So these are the kinds of things uh, I think that uh, rather than training more shamans and training more people, that would be good. You know, if uh, people are interested in, in doing that, that's perfect. If people are interested in in uh, going to to um, to uh, retreats, you know, to take this, that's perfect. But don't expect that. After coming out of those so you're going to be enlightened, right? uh, So what we're looking at now is if we want to improve it on the scientific part, you know, let's start with, you know, uh, you know a farmahuasca or achawasca, as my friends love to say. You know, let's, let's start from there. And then let's take a look at the other receptors that are available. You know, what, what, um, what could switch off the, the DMN more effectively? You know, how can we remove, for example, the dopaminergic component of LSD? You know, which, which keeps you, keeps your ego up, uh, actually, uh, it can keep your ego up. So, you know, and then we could have, uh, either natural synthetic molecules identified, uh, uh, to do this. And that's how, that's how we go, right? Um, that's how we proceed, or it could be combination of certain molecules. Like, for example, I, for example, I'm suspecting that, uh, something combined with psilocybin, which is, which decreases the activity of the DMN. In, you know, with something that increases the activity of the task-positive network, will probably work, right? Uh, will probably um, uh, uh, make the illusoriness of the self uh, appear there. So it, it it doesn't mean that just because you know um, uh, they are uh, traditional doesn't mean that they're sacred. You know, uh, it only means that there is room for improvement. If you want to move forward with the new generation, right, uh, with the new generation of, of people and using the technology uh, uh, and so on, but by all means, you know, if you have the means to experience what a traditional, uh, the traditional, the uh, traditional ceremony is, go ahead. It's very enlightening, you know, to work with the shaman. They work with, you know, the tobacco and all of those. You know, uh, they blow smoke, and, and so that's that's uh, wonderful. But um, how do you? You know, you'd be facing of course the medical establishment and all of that. They would like to know, okay, what's the dose? You know, what's the protocol and how do you do this? How much inhibition is, is there going on and so on and so forth. You have to satisfy those two, right? Until they experience it and they say they say, What the fuck about the dose, right? They they experience the experience, they go, ah, you know.
1: Well, that's interesting that you bring that up because I have noticed in my limited experience of those those eight ceremonies that, uh, especially in the first four, in which the brew was from a different place in South America every night. There was like Peru night, then Brazil night, Colombia night, and it had been brewed there and brought to Costa Rica where I did it at Rhythmia. And uh, oh my God, such a different experience every time. The medicine really does have a different energetic and I'm sure... Biological uh, makeup. You know, it's just certainly like impossible to measure a dose. And even when I went and did my four through eight ceremonies, uh, it was with the Shipibo tradition at Soltara in Costa Rica. And in that tradition, you choose your own dose. And I wasn't used to that because the first four, I'd walk up and the shaman kind of looks me over, blows some tobacco on me, mm-hmm. and then fills up the cup. And I take it and I just trust his. His or her guidance and intuition, and you know that they're connected to source, and I'm gonna be done right. And I was, but I found it very difficult to go when it was up to me because they're like, Well, how much you want? I'm like, I don't know, like that's your job. (laughs) And they said, Well, you need to tune into the medicine and take your own dose. And it was actually kind of, it kind of sucked because one night I felt like I took too much, another night I was like, Ah, god damn it, I didn't take enough, I didn't really take off. And it was, It was a little bit frustrating uh, in the sense that, you know, and needless to say, I surrendered into all those experiences and it was all great and amazing. But it did also occur to me, wow, it wouldn't hurt uh, as an alternate method to have a very measurable dose and to kind of know what that's going to do for my body type and size and, and makeup and chemistry so that if I want to have X journey, it's somewhat predictable and I can really work with that in a more structured
0: way. Yes, and if you drink a lot of alcohol, you know, your liver inhibition will be different because you will be so used to degrading those kinds of uh, molecules. But anyway, what you said, actually, uh, I have a little story with that. I have a friend that I took on a journey and and, uh, uh, first on Farmawasca, and then she decided to go to Peru to to experience, you know, the traditional ceremony. And um, when the shaman said, uh, gave her, you know, that, Specific amount that she just handed to her, and this is too little. I need more. And the shaman sort of like looks at her, like almost angrily. It's like, <laughs> and then gives her a, a, a more and said, "No, this is too little. I want some more." And then um, she said uh, something that was really very funny. She, at the third day, she said, "That I'm leaving." You know, I I uh, I said when I was uh, taking your farm I waska, uh, I said i saw everything in hd tv here it's just like a you know watching tv with a very really very bad reception because <laughs> she was vomiting oh, man <laughs> but but anyway the whole purpose as i said you know it could be it could be ayahuasca it could be uh, psilocybin it could be you know ketamine uh um, you know all of these are are acting uh in a way in th- just in terms of decreasing suffering uh you know when you have Suffering being defined as identifying with your cravings and aversion as you, right? Identifying with the ego, even just to to just for that brief moment, uh, essentially reveal the illusoriness of the ego that is not really there. So if it's that's the purpose, you know, then you, you know that's the sort of like anabolic steroid of the mental gym uh, that you can use. It's also a good. Pointing out instruction rather than you know going to a dog chain ma- master and having uh, your your the nature of your mind pointed out to you, asking you questions like who are you and uh, and, and so on. <clears throat> it's faster, but the caveat always is that it's temporary. You know you have to get, get your lessons from there, um, and then and then get yourself into a practice where becoming more and more aware uh, that the. Part of you that's uh, uh, that's wanting things and desiring things and pushing away uh, uh, experiences and and so on is an illusion. Right? Um, is an illusion. It's, it's what makes you suffer. Right? It's the clinging to those. Is what makes you suffer, and therefore it's the root of suffering. Right? If we could actually wake people up to to that uh, by you know, by substances and then by practices, uh, and so on, then, um, you know, we could have what we began this whole thing with a more, uh, coherent species wide awareness. Where do we want to bring ourselves to the future? You know, um, as I say, uh, yeah, I'm saying, you know, we cannot, we cannot just be drones, you know, uh, just working and reproducing and working and reproducing and and repeating all these experiences over and over, you know, what's the overarching plan that we have for a species? You know, where do we want to go from here? And that's impossible to do. If we could continue having an environment, uh, developing uh, environments and technologies that only sense uh, uh, gets to fortify the ego. Look, uh, you know, even for those who have taken uh, like pharmawaska or ayahuasca for many, many doses, et cetera, you know, uh, they could have a massive egoic snapback. You know, if you don't have a, a continuing practice, you can have a, a massive uh, uh, egoic snapback. Or, for example, your default mode network, you know, because the ego is hard to. To get rid of right it's there to protect you from evolution so it could snap back very very harshly and you, you could just turn away from from everything that you've learned you know so uh and that's the danger right that's the danger of these things they right? just much like the the anabolic steroids that you use for bodybuilding you know can be dangerous you know this this can uh these uh, uh, substances can be dangerous uh not not Solely in the physical sense, but in the egoic sense, right? That the uh, self or the self referential system can come back with a vengeance. You know, no matter what is it that they say, Luke, uh, if you think you're enlightened, try spending a day with your family. So, I love,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that one. That's, that's one of my. So, um, yeah, it's that uh, it's the phenomenon of the spiritual ego, right? Where one starts to make gains spiritually from a, from a true and earnest place, starts to have God realization uh, merging toward enlightenment. And then all the while the ego is there also observing that as part of its potential value system. So that Then it starts to take over that spiritual identity, right? And this is the fall of the guru. And you see great teachers are, you know, then all of a sudden you find out they were sexual predators or you know greedy and just you know obsessed with wealth and Rolls Royces or whatever the case may be. It's it's a really interesting phenomenon within humans to observe. Is without the awareness that that's a potential risk that one must look out for, then you can come back from a journey and like I am God now because I'm. God And this like uh, spiritual ego is is like another layer or just a different sort of aspect of ego that's not, that's not going out into the world full of hate and malice, but rather using the auspice of being peaceful and loving and enlightened and spiritual and being a yogi with the beads and you know the meditation pose, but still behind that is the same rapacious, self-seeking egoic consciousness. That was there before. It sort of come come about now with a different mask.
0: Well, that's a there's a simpler uh, uh, example that I give to that Luke is that uh, you know all of these uh, CEOs of uh, large companies would hire this guy, right? And he would give them a microdose of psilocybin and walk them through, go take them through a nature hike for several hours in a day, and and uh, talk about uh, instead of you know uh, looking at uh the illusoriness of the self and and all of that and explaining you know how uh, especially there on a the microdose so at least the the self-referential system is dampened right uh, they will say okay how do i use this now in order to <laughs> have a profit from my company and you know make make my employees more productive and so on and so forth and suddenly the ego is using now the techniques right um uh, that is uh, intended to decrease suffering to increase suffering, right? To but uh, that's not what they're realizing. They're realizing is that it's it's just just another tool for me to become quote unquote productive, right? Uh, I'm I'm now more productive in work, productive in this and this and this. It's like, but really, don't we have something deeper to to realize with these things, right? Yeah. You no, know, I, I I keep on I keep on uh, explaining to people. That, you know, most of the people haven't seen what I have seen. Right. I was a, I was a, when I was a physician, I, I, I worked at an emergency room where I would be triaging uh, people who were uh, shot in the back from summary executions, see who are still alive and see who are still dead i would uh you know uh, serve as a doctor to where you have to wade knee deep in mud to get to deliver you know um uh, health care to a family of six living in a what a two by six square meter um house in a garbage pile you know most of the world don't have this experience and don't see this and sometimes they seem as like oh you can say that because you've always have a charmed life you know it's not exactly that you know um and those experiences um although they shaped you know uh, a lot of that history shaped a lot of my points of view it also escalated my um my desire to see that we have we hold a different perspective you know a, a non-egoic perspective towards ourselves because i've seen that kind of suffering you know i true i'm i'm, I'm working now with with the privileged class you know and and you know politicians and what have you. Um, but, you know, when you when you come and have all of those uh, experiences, you know, you see that that's a result of our uh, uh, cravings and aversions, right? Um, you know, uh, if people haven't seen, for example, uh, you know, I, I was delivering, um, you know, the baby of, of this, uh, the 12th baby of this uh, woman who had, uh, uh you know um uh, there were six different fathers right and, and and i i tell her come come tomorrow you know um let's let's get you to the um uh uh, uh uh legation clinic you know because your uterus is already so thin you know if you have another uh, baby you know and and she's not prepared, she was obviously uh, extremely poor etc. and of course uh, you know she she didn't show up so we see all, I've seen all of these kinds of poverty. You know, I've been there delivering this, uh, you know, that kind of uh, of service uh, to, to other people. And most Americans don't realize, you know, the poverty that we know here is different from the poverty that we see elsewhere uh, um, uh, in the world. So it's a different form of, uh, for me, the quality of compassion is, uh, you know, for me, it, 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 there's a hastening that, that, that comes, you know, because you've seen this before and we're seeing here, you know, and what I see here is actually very funny, you know, because uh, people can't seem are beside themselves staying at home, you know, not being able to be alone with their thoughts, you know, try fucking surviving with, you know, uh, six kids in the middle of a garbage pile, uh, you know, uh, and, 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 uh, these are the things that people think are thinkable, but they are occurring also in the world. And, uh, there is a, a, a beautiful, uh, short story, uh, on, on, uh, um, the relativity of, uh, morality, right? Uh, uh, that, uh, there's a, this, uh, fictional place, uh, called, um, uh, Omelas, where, it's really just this beautiful place where all the virtues are. And, you know, it's a utopia, you know, you can take whatever drugs you need to take and, and so on and so forth. There will be no punishment and so on. So the story opens with a, with a beautiful rite of spring, you know, and so on. And uh, it's peaceful uh, and so on. And, and um, but um, uh, if you're at a certain age, you're brought to this uh, place where there's one dark room and there's they open the door and there's a child in there. That's never seen sunlight, is given one plate of, uh, of gruel a day, you know, and he's in chains and he basically stands up and sits down in his own piece and piece and shit, you know, and he's there in that place. And you are told he is the reason why Omalas is prosperous, right? He is the, you have to keep him in chains like this, right? Uh, otherwise the whole, the whole, uh, 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 city of Amalas will will start to disintegrate from its prosperity and happiness and so on. And the the story in there is like, uh, that some some people after seeing the child just they just leave and they continue walking and walking away from Amalas. And it, it, take a look at us, you know. That's why for me, when you get uh, you know a Starbucks coffee for six dollars, for example, you. Th- you know, it's so much sweeter for me to to drink that only because I know that that six dollars is going to feed a child for two or three days somewhere else in the world. We're worse than Amalas, you know. We all of these people are are living in a, are in poverty at our expense. So it, when 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 you when you look at, at things that way, you could see how why I feel acutely you know why we have to wake up from this nightmare that we have created for ourselves right uh we are not only taking uh, one child you know and putting we are taking you know a large part of the population and keeping them you know uh in in a dark room uh you know where they're only fed once a day and they they live where they uh, ship and piss so so i'm i'm not trying to proselytize you know um uh, uh, about this, it's just that for me, it's personal. Um, that it's personal that it's time for us to explore all these things. Be you know, just experience selflessness with ayahuasca, ketamine, you know, DMT, and, and so on. Just to imagine what selflessness is like. Explore a meditation practice, uh, you know, or other you know, yoga or other practices that that take away, you know, um, uh, that uh, reveal for you the illusion of the ego that wants and wants and wants to experience things and and uh say what's enough you know uh what's enough for us where you know when do we stop uh this madness uh, you know of of, of uh, uh, you know just unbridled reproduction you know encroaching on on, on 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 environmental turf you know where where uh we we decrease the the uh, uh, the balance, we, we upset the balance of the species that are occurring. It's true that, you know, this, this will occur, but we're hasten, also hastening uh, our own demise here if we don't get into a cohesive uh, plan as a species as to what we're going to do, right? That's why, for example, I donate a lot of education, right? Because you know that when you educate people, uh, you know, the, the, the birth rates go down. In highly educated countries, right? uh, in in uh, in uh, countries where there is not much education, the birth rates are up. Well, you know, probably after COVID nineteen pandemic is done, you know, we see the birth rates go up, and that that just shows you that we cannot stand our own thoughts; we'd rather be doing something else.
1: <laughs> anyway. Interesting prediction that hadn't crossed my mind yet. <laughs> well, Ted. Um... I appreciate that perspective and, uh, and everything you are and everything that you do. And I feel like that's, you know, even though selfishly, I have 50 more questions, I'm going to save my notes for our next conversation because I have, uh, many more, but, um, I think this is a good place to kind of bring the conversation to an end. And I think we've given a really well-rounded approach to, consciousness and taking some uh, time to really ask ourselves questions and to determine what life is all about what gives it meaning how we can contribute how we can alter our point of view how we can ease the suffering of ourselves and pass that along to others and like at this particular time in uh, our human experience I don't think there's anything more important to talk about and um, as of late I've been just felt compelled to point out some of the Inconsistencies in the official narrative of what's going on uh, at this time, and of course, this this will have been recorded when things will have changed by the time this conversation comes out. But um, you know, there are some conspiratorial elements uh, of what's happening that aren't adding up to me and many other people, and tech censorship, and uh, you know, the silencing of voices in alternative medicine, and all sorts of things that are very disconcerting to me, and. It's been really important for me to have this conversation to remember that it's about just increasing the light and increasing consciousness and uh, fighting negativity with negativity is a futile battle that you will never win. And so this has been a great reminder to me of that and an opportunity to share a really positive perspective with people, uh, especially when they might be in a situation that appears to them to be quite negative.
0: Well, Yes, uh, a simple way to remember it is the virus is ne- neither democratic nor republican nor independent. It will just do what it does. And if it happens to make you sick and kill you, that's what it does. And, uh, you know, it's sad to hear for me, um, uh, it's just sad to hear a Harvard ethicist say, for example, that, um, you know, not being able to go to a restaurant is a violation of our civil rights and said, Virus doesn't care about your civil rights, baby. You know, what? So what, you know, how are we going to do this? We've placed so many elements on top of things that are fundamental, you know. Uh, so let's look uh, beyond those elements, those artificial things that we placed on top, and let's take a look and stay at where what's really going on and you know, uh, if you're going to end this, will it stay to where it is, right? Um, as it is.
1: Ted, who have been three teachers or teachings that have influenced your life and your work that you might recommend?
0: Actually, you know, the, the uh, teachings that I have uh, come from difficult to read <laughs> esoteric books on Buddhism. I would encourage people, more to read the more, uh, the books as the more modern teachers, you know, uh, for example, uh, the old, uh, oh, I call it old now. It's, uh, a few years old. Uh, uh, Sam Harris's waking up book and his app, uh, the work of, uh, uh, Judson Brewer on addiction. Um, uh, for example, uh, the work of, uh, Shinzen Young, um, you know who is very tech friendly. You know on the use of like uh, headbands. You know to to uh, to meditate. You know as an e meditator. Um, uh, you know uh, uh, and uh, uh, the and then the works of people who are in physics. Uh, like like uh, uh, you know because phys- phys- uh, physicists are uh, often asked uh, about consciousness, right? And, uh, you know, Brian Greene just released his book uh, uh, till the end of time. And, you know, there is, uh, of course, the difficult read, but worth it, uh, uh, Douglas Hoffman and the case against reality. So I would encourage people more because you will be more convinced, you know, reading contemporary. Um, it, it, It was a difficult path for me to go from esoteric, like Bond- uh, type of readings, you know, the nine ways of bond and the different practices, uh, and so on and so forth. Going into the tantras, uh, the sutras, and and all of that, uh, you know, from Hindu Hinduism, Buddhism, you know, and uh, and so forth. That's a more difficult path, uh, especially if you don't have someone teaching you. But there are these contemporary um, authors will uh, actually um, uh, uh, show you. You know, uh, oh, uh, Dan Harris uh, also is another one. You know, he uh, he's a ten percent happier. Uh, so uh, the, these are the kinds of uh, books that I would recommend uh, the current generation to read, because then if they go back to Buddhist teachings, you know, and started start studying it uh, more, uh, it, more as an uh, uh, interest, and, and then more fervently, they would already have like a scientific or a neuroscientific or a physics basis for the readings. So I'm I'm more for flipping things around, you know, rather than going the way I did it. Um it's it's uh it's easier uh so to speak to speak uh uh to the uh way that the generation right now speaks. Right.
1: Awesome. Thanks for the recommendations. That's uh that's quite a handful of stuff for people to begin with and uh Thanks for the sage advice on all things we covered today. In closing, where can people find you on social media, websites, etc.?
0: Well, um, we've been doing this on transcriptions uh, uh, on Instagram and of course uh, transcriptions.com where you can get uh, blue canotine and the other products that are forthcoming, um, especially the, the pure uh, methylene blue, we call it just blue. Uh, we hope that JetBlue doesn't um, sue us. Um, and and then um, uh, I, for for my uh, nonprofit work, I started a nonprofit to teach physicians and um, non uh, and and uh, healthcare practitioners on how to optimize health uh, at uh, HomeHope.org. Uh, we've just released uh, our our initial module was clinical metabolomics it was released uh, uh, last year we just released uh, two other modules on epigenetics and on uh, mitochondria and uh, before and uh, it, probably in a week or so we'll be releasing our module on uh, uh, gut immune system so uh, that's uh, that's up uh, you could see what what a quarantine can do, right? Uh, the, the the modules are are getting made, and we have uh, chronobiology, evolutionary medicine, and exposomics coming up. So that's at homehope.org. If you're interested in becoming a practitioner, that's also where you want to go, and you'll get to interact with someone crazy like me.
1: That's awesome. Uh, you just brought up one last question. I'm going to sneak in because you mentioned mitochondria. To what degree that you do you think that are levels of deuterium in the body hinder mitochondrial function if they do? And do you think that setting about to lower your deuterium levels through drinking deuterium-depleted water and fasting and being on a keto diet uh, will help that along? Um, meaning the, the, you know, I'm going to use crude terms here, but my understanding based on a few interviews is the, the deuterium gumming up the uh, nanomotors in the mitochondria and rendering them less effective at producing ATP. Do you think all of that is relevant and worth pursuing and working on?
0: Uh, For for me, I have uh, very practical uh, advice on these things because the the study that I looked at with uh, credibility is uh, a study that was done that shows that the mitochondria depletes depletes the deuterium of its Its own water. So, what's in the mitochondria? Mitochondria has its own mechanism of depleting its own deuterium in order to function. So, if whatever mechanism you want to use, I don't know whether or not they work. Uh, Some people claim they do. Some people say it's pointless. I just want to reassure people that whatever it is that you do, if you want to decrease your own deuterium, et cetera, fine. If it works for you, great. If it gives you more energy, fine. But the, the mitochondria itself actually depletes its own deuterium in order to make itself work properly. So it it. has its own mechanism.
1: Got it. Okay. All right. Cool. Thanks. I'm glad I got to sneak that one in there. (laughs) I think I've gotten your take on that. And I know you you know a lot about mitochondrial function and metabolic disease and all this kind of stuff. So there we go. I got it in and I'll save the other 49 questions for next time. Dude, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you again and put me, well, keep me on your list for future journeys Uh, As you know, I've been putting that in your ear for some time now. And uh, when we're able to travel safely, I look forward to hanging out with you again.
0: Yes, that would be perfect. But uh, I know it's not going to be in a 10,000 person crowd anymore. Yeah, yeah, I know. (laughs) Right, exactly. All right, Ted. Well,
1: thanks so much, man. I appreciate you coming on and we'll do it again soon.
0: Take care, Luke.
1: The fact that you made it to the end of this episode indicates to me that you are truly committed to expanding your consciousness and understanding of life and the world. And for that, I must express my gratitude and a humble bow to you. You are indeed a seeker and a finder. Sunday, we'll publish a bonus rebroadcast episode of my recent appearance on the podcast, Get Over Yourself which was an incredible conversation. Then Tuesday, we'll be back to our regular programming with one of my all-time favorite guests, my friend, Daniel Vitalis, where we talk about the failure of fake food and modern medicine and how to reclaim your health with nature's wisdom. As I mentioned in the intro, if you want to check out Blue Canatine, Dr. Ted's product, I highly recommend it. In fact, if you could see me right now, my entire mouth is bright blue. Uh, Luckily, no one can see me because I would look kind of strange at the moment. Sort of looks like I'm missing three or four teeth on the right-hand upper side. But uh, the blue canatine is fantastic for brain function. You can find that at troscriptions.com. That's T-R-O-S-C-R-I-P-T-I-O-N-S. Troscriptions.com. Once you get there, use the code LUKE5 to save 5% off. I've got an event coming up in August. That's August 14th through 21st. I will be at the Healing Power of Energy Retreat at my favorite place in the entire universe called Quixmala in Mexico. There, I will be joined by former podcast guest, Dr. Rashid Buttar, which did a great episode recently on the coronavirus situation, scandal. (laughs) And uh, also Dr. Jerry, the gentleman behind the Rasha technology. I'll also be joined there by Dr. Robert Slovak, who's an expert on all things water and deuterium depletion. I will be live streaming and recording that entire week in August. So you can definitely look forward to that. And you can join me there with those guests at Queeksmala by going to lukestory.com forward slash events. You'll also find updates on my health optimization summit appearance in London, for which the date is pending at this moment. So again, that's lukestory.com forward slash events. Now is the time where I like to thank our sponsors because honestly, without you as a listener and our sponsors to back the show, I'd be doing something else for a living. Uh, It takes a lot of time and energy to produce this show. I do it as a labor of love, but there are also bills to pay and our sponsors pay those bills. And I'm so grateful to them. I'm so fortunate to be able to work with brands that I truly respect, brands that have integrity, that make products that actually work that treat their customers with kindness, fairness, and overall, just produce products that really upgrade your health. Now, that being said, you can always find all of the sponsors here at lukestory.com forward slash store, but let's break them down. First, I'm happy to onboard our newest sponsor, Sir Thrival. And if you've heard the episodes with Daniel Vitalis, uh, it's kind of funny that he owns that company, yet barely promotes it. He's just not a salesy, cheesy guy. So it's my job now to promote it for Daniel. So if you like Daniel Vitalis' appearance on the show and his work in general, I've been a huge fan of SirThrival and Daniel's work forever. I'd love for you to get over to SirThrival.com where you can use the code STYLE10 to save 10% off. That's SirThrival.com. Check out the pine pollen for hormone function, the elk antler extract for recovery, the colostrum for everything, including immunity. I use so many of their products all the time. That is Surthrival.com. Then we've got Osea. You can go to oseamalibu.com slash lifestylist where you will save $10 off your first purchase of 50 bucks or more. Osea makes some fantastic, completely natural, very high-end skin and personal care products. That's Osea Malibu. O-S-E-A Malibu, malibu.com slash the Lifestylist. And last, but certainly not least, my favorite bee products in the freaking world. That's beekeepersnaturals.com. You can get your bee products over there for 15% off using the code lifestylist. That's beekeepersnaturals.com. Absolutely incredible, unparalleled bee products like propolis, bee pollen, honey, everything you can imagine that those amazing little creatures make completely organic glyphosate free absolutely sustainable they are doing wonders in the world of bees both for the environment and your health beekeepersnaturals.com see what i mean aren't those brands just badass that's the cool thing about having a podcast you can support brands that are ethical to their employees and customers and to the environment the planet Animals, everyone wins, and you even get discount codes, and I get to keep making this podcast and talk to people like Dr. Ted. I mean, like, what a freaking life, dude! As crazy as the world is right now, and uh, with so many people suffering for so many different reasons, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> which I have sh- I have shows about, all those reasons coming out. Don't worry. Uh, some people have commented that I don't seem to be, you know. Uh, commenting on current events, and um, trust me, I'm very thoughtful about what I say and when, and also about whom I interview and how. So things are in the works when it comes to uh, current events and social upheaval, etc. Fret not, my friends. I'm aware that the world is seemingly falling apart before our eyes. However, due to the fact that I get to have conversations with brainiac, heart-centered people like Dr. Ted, I'm just so grateful that at this time in history, uh, the job that I happen to have is one of reporting on the good news largely in the world and helping to amplify positivity in the face of such shadow. So with that, my friends, I will bid you a farewell. And uh, don't forget, we've got a bunch more podcasts coming your way this Sunday, a guest appearance on a podcast that I did recently called Get Over Yourself. And back on Tuesday with Daniel Vitalis, the man behind Sir Thrival. Thank you so much for listening. And if you feel called and so inclined, please do yourself, the world, and me a favor and share this episode with a friend.